in a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. A shot on Elo. Guys, the Bulls win! You know what time it is. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic. This is Mitch Moe. And this is Dallin. Guys, welcome on in. Episode 186 of the Sports Hour. So good to be here with you. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, Podcast feed only this week. You're hearing us on your feeds, and we appreciate you for uh, tuning in, turning us on, uh, listening to us. Uh, yep, for the next few hours. Uh, good to be here with you. Uh, excited to do this podcast uh, tonight. We've got uh, we are we're recording this on December twelfth on a Tuesday evening, and we got a lot to talk about. Quite a bit oh, of the yeah. news. Big week in the NFL. Uh, still doing some college football bowl season. College football bowl season's right around the corner. We got a fun draft for that coming up uh, in the second half of the podcast. Uh, Got a jam-packed show, Mitch. Lots to get into. And uh, as always, football, football, football. I mean, all the way through to uh, Super Bowl Sunday, really, it is all football. Um, But uh, yeah, tons to get into, tons of other news, which, uh, by the way, I want to point out, I found this out today. I don't I didn't know this. Probably you did. And I'm just an idiot and never realized this. The news is called the news because it's new to us. Oh, okay. I, so I heard this on TikTok. I forget was, I forget what TikTok came up and I was was like, no wait, I got, this can't be real. (laughs) The news is called the news because it's new information to us. And so they call it the news because it's all new to us. I was, my mind was blown. Like I had a little like existential (laughs) crisis at work today. (laughs) Finding that out. It was insane. But that, I had to just I, share that fun fact. But I love that. I, I've never thought about it. But I mean, that makes a lot of sense. It does, you know? right? Tons of. But like, I've never thought about why we called it the news. It's just yeah. always been the news. But like it's a news because paper, it's, just a paper full of the new shit. What's the, new today? Yeah, this exactly. What, I love it. I know what it's a novel awesome, idea. It? <laughs> like I'll never be able to work at look at the word news. <laughs> the same way ever again yeah but it makes so much more new so much more sense to me now but anyway i, I had that. to share that little tidbit because that's that, great. Uh, i did have my mind blown just a little bit <laughs> um dallin let's get right into the new information the news that we have to provide <laughs> everyone here and let's start in the world of baseball because we had a massive contract um that was signed in fact the largest contract um in Baseball history, I believe the largest contract in professional sports history Mm -hmm. Um, and deservedly so, rightfully so. And it happens to fall in the lap of your favorite team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the City of Angels, 
bringing in Shohei Otani, the phenom from Japan, spent the last four years with the Los Angeles Angels. He stays in the City of Angels, goes to the Dodgers on a 10-year, $700 million deal. Um, and we'll get into the, the details of that contract um, in just a moment. But, Dallin, your initial reaction, I guess, as the resident Dodgers fan here on the podcast of bringing in um, the attract the the attraction the the I I don't even know what the right word is for Shohei Otani but the, just the the monumental attraction that this guy is um, in the world of baseball the talent that he is I mean this has to be just absolute music to your ears to bring in a guy with so much uh, talent and potential at such a young age too yeah the uh, the spectacle that is. Shohei Otani is, uh, I mean, listen, obviously this is huge for the Dodgers. Um, and this is something that it seems like they've been building towards for the last couple of years. And, uh, this is a franchise that has spent a lot of money, a lot of money over the last decade to try to get to and win world series. And they've been to three, they've won one. And now, uh, They've caught themselves the biggest fish in the pond. That doesn't get any better or any bigger than Shohei Otani. And it's exactly what the Dodgers had to do, frankly. Like, this is everything they've built towards. This is what, if this franchise is going to spend more than anybody else, is going to invest in this, into their players, into this roster more than anybody else and really push it, then this is the kind of player they needed to go get. And they needed to pay him an, a, a ridiculous contract like the one that he got. And now, frankly, I'm like, okay, we got to deliver. The, the excuse, like there, there's no more excuses for Dave Roberts. There's no more excuses for Dodgers ownership to not win World Series now, right? I mean... There was always some sort of, even when they were spending at the top of the MLB, I mean, there was always still some excuse and some this and that. There's no more excuses anymore. You've made this move. You've, you've, uh, you've pushed your chips all in. And now it's time to reap the rewards. And I, I tweeted this out in reaction. If we don't win a World Series with Shohei, uh, relegate us to Oakland. Uh, because that's what we deserve. Uh, we deserve to be in a city that doesn't want us. And I don't even want a new stadium. Relegate us to the Coliseum in 10 years. Jeez, oh, Like, that's what we would deserve if the Dodgers can't pull off success with this move and with the roster they already have and will be able to build around him. I mean, it's, yeah, it's exactly what they needed to do. I'm not surprised. I just, it felt like there's no other destination that made sense that had the big enough market, that had the things that Shohei was looking for because he wasn't considering all 30 MLB teams. Uh, you know, part of it was it was really important to have uh, a Japanese uh, population wherever he was going, right? To have a diversity to it that he would feel comfortable, that he would be marketable to be in a big market, to be with one of the top teams, uh, and to be with a contender and a franchise that was willing to do what it takes to win. And, and the Dodgers have shown they're willing to do what it takes to win. It hasn't led to much winning, 
right? But they've shown a willingness to push the chips in to go get Mookie Betts, to go get, uh, you know, you could go back to the last 10 years and the, and the number of moves they've made uh, to try to win World Series. And so I always felt like this was going to happen. It seemed inevitable. And now for me as a Dodgers fan, it's just like, okay, let's see it now. Let's, let's, let's do it. Y- you have to win. And we were kind of talking about this yesterday. In my mind, it's it's multiple World Series over the next ten years. That's oh, that's yeah. the standard. It's it's not just one. It's not just getting to them. We need to win at least two to three World Series over the next ten years to call this thing a success. And I mean, you get a player like this alongside what they already have and what they can uh, bring in over this next decade, and I think they will be able to do that. Yeah, and I I think you said the right phrase there. Chips all in, um, and to pair that up with they have to win multiple championships for this to be a successful investment into Shohei Otani. He's deferring $680 million of that to the back end of that contract. He's only going to take $2 million per year over the next 10 years. And he's deferring the rest of the 680. He's going to be taking that. So my math is correct until 2043. He'll be yeah. taking 600 or $68 million a year. Fuck you, Bobby Bonilla. Here's the new Bobby Bonilla (laughs) right here. And how does this set? But when you think about like how much the Dodgers are going to spend on Shohei Otani after his playing days are what we would assume would be done in 10 years. He'll be, you know, in his late 30s, early 40s at that point. So we would assume that he would be close to the end of his career at that at that point. You know what? How is that going to affect them after that 10 year span? I'll tell you, though, that I don't think it's going to affect him that much because the amount of revenue that this guy brings in just by himself is astounding. Let's look at the lot, the first year um, that he was uh, came over to play baseball in America. He signed with the Angels on a four year, four point two million dollar deal, gave up two hundred million dollars that he potentially could have made if he had waited two more years to play in the MLB, gave up the two hundred million so that he can come to America and play baseball. When he arrived in the United States, there was an 11% increase in attendance at Angel Stadium on days that he pitched. Take the average ticket price at $30. That's $120,000 in extra revenues on days that he pitched. That's not, that's just ticket sales. That's not accounting for uh, concessions, merchandise, ads, all of that stuff. That's just on-field product, day that he pitched, ticket sales that he's bringing in um with that the angels made enough money to pay his entire yearly salary in just the first five games that he played in america Hmm. just the first five games or the first five games that he pitched excuse me um that means that he they paid his salary before he even when you account for concessions and merchandise and ads they paid his salary for the year before he even stepped foot on the field that's the kind of money that this guy's bringing in. And that's not just that's that's just on field. That's not even talking about all the off field stuff that he's doing. Um, and for all the people that talk, you know, the old heads that look at these numbers and they go, no players worth seven hundred million dollars over 10 years. There's no way. Let me give you an example here. A couple of examples. He has put up numbers comparable to Bryce Harper, who got a 13 year, three hundred thirty million dollars contract with the Phillies. And he has put up pitching numbers similar to Garrett Cole, who got a 324 
million dollar deal with the New York Yankees. Combine those two numbers, I believe that comes out to six hundred and fifty or six hundred and fifty-four million dollars. You bring in the marketability of Shohei Otani and tap probably tack on the extra fifty million that's worth. Yes, you can absolutely make a case that he is worth seven hundred million dollars without even stepping foot on the field yet. I mean, it is it it's insane what this guy's marketability is. Um, bravo by the Dodgers. I think this is a great, um, obviously short-term investment because it makes them a perennial favorite year in and year out now, uh, at least for the next five to six years. Um, but it also makes them a, a market giant amongst all of the franchises and all of professional sports for years to come. Uh, the fact that Shohei Otani is part of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So well done for the Dodgers. And Shohei got the bag and good for Shohei because he's worth the $700 million. Yeah, and and listen, you know, I've seen it estimated he earns about $50 million a year just in advertisements and the yeah. extra off-the-field stuff he does. So when you're asking yourself why would he only take $2 million a year? Why, like, why would he do that? I mean, there's a number of factors. One, he makes plenty of other money off the field. One, he, yeah, he frankly just makes enough money off the field that it doesn't matter, right? I mean, the difference between 50 and 70 million, not that much, right? Not, not in the long term, not that much. Uh, it's not like he's going to be strapped for cash over the next decade uh, with his contract. So that's part of it. Two, it also opens up the team to be able to spend more on their yearly payroll to bring in talent around him to guarantee. And and I think this is the part that people are overlooking. And I I heard this discussed a little bit today um, on some sports radio I was listening to. And, you know, why would he only take two mil? You know, why would he do the team a favor like this? He's not doing the team a favor. He wants to win a World Series. He's doing himself a favor here. We saw this guy. sit alongside Mike Trout with that Angels franchise and do Jack Diddley squat for four years, right? They accomplished nothing. They didn't make a playoff run, right? So if you're Shohei Otani and you're looking at the rest of your career and saying, I want to play in the biggest games, I want to go to the World Series, I want to win World Series, well, then this is going to help you do that, alleviating the burden of your salary off of the books that allows your team to bring in whatever talent they want. Because guess what? Everyone's going to want to play with you. Everyone's going to want to play for the Dodgers. Like it makes your team better and it makes it more likely that you will get to and win World Series. And clearly that's this guy's goal. If it was all about the money, he would have took it all up front. Right. But he didn't. Because he wants to win, and this helps them win. On top of that, I've heard this discussed, and I think this is a really good point. You know, the California, the taxes are pretty heavy, right? We, you know, there's we know there's certain places like you go to Texas, you go to Florida. You know, the state taxes are are like non-existent, right? Players want to go there. California, it's extremely high. Well, he's not going to get taxed on that $70 million a year while he's playing. If he's not living in the state of California when those are getting paid out, he's probably not getting taxed at that rate wherever he's living, whether it's in the United States or whether he moves back to Japan or wherever he goes. And so he's going to probably inevitably save himself money by deferring those payments until post-playing career or at the very least post-living in California. So... All of that to be said, this is an unprecedented contract in its size and the uniqueness and the deferments. Uh, and it's 
fitting for a, a unique player in the MLB. There is not a single player in Major League Baseball that transcends Major League Baseball like Shohei Otani does at the domestic level in the United States and at the international level. And he's like you said, he's worth every single penny of that. He's a genius and is this is what's awesome about the the deferment. He's a financial genius also. Yeah. So like <laughs> let's let's add that to his resume. Also, probably the most consummate team guy that we have in sports right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, no, Seriously. I'll just take two million for a year so that way we can build a winner around me. Well, how about we do that? And I'll just take the rest of my money at the end of it. How about that? Like, what what about that? Like, that's that's so awesome. Like yeah. it's just you you can't help but love this guy. Can't help yeah. but love him. Um crazy. Yeah, great. Great, crazy stuff. Uh, but Dallin, moving on, in-season tournament, and uh, I'll take your victory lap. Take your victory <laughs> lap, buddy. Speaking of L.A. wins, huh? This, it was a big weekend for, for us L.A. sports fans. We, we got Shohei Otani to the Dodgers, and the Los Angeles Lakers won the first ever in-season tournament, the NBA Cup. Uh, Lakers and Pacers was the finals. We were uh, We've been following this along throughout the season. Uh, and this was, I think, the perfect finale to this in-season tournament year one, right? You had a contending team in the Lakers that took this seriously, right? They didn't overlook this in-season tournament. They didn't overlook the half a million dollar payday that every player gets, which is nothing for LeBron James, nothing for Anthony Davis. They could have looked at this and said, this doesn't matter, guys. Like, we play for NBA championships. Uh, like, we don't we care to be a part of this. We don't care to compete. This team cared to compete, wanted to be there, wanted to win it, gets themselves to the finals. And then on the other side, you had the Indiana Pacers, who are a young up-and-coming team who wants to prove themselves, wants to get on the big stage, prove that we are legit, we are contenders. You have Tyrese Halliburton having a breakout in the in-season tournament showing the entire NBA world, I am a superstar. You got to take me seriously. You got to take us seriously as a team. Perfect uh, pairing for the final in this one. Lakers defeated the Pacers 123 to 109. Anthony Davis. Uh, it was, this was 2020 bubble Anthony Davis. 41 points, 20 rebounds, four blocks. He was incredible in that game. And uh, I thought... I mean, great Coleman as a Lakers fan, very happy, right? Love to see, love to see wins. Love to see the Lakers get it done. Uh, you know, if you want to, you know, as far as the goat conversation, you know, how many, how many in-season tournaments has MJ won? Oh, you God, know? Stop, it. Just, stop, just, it. stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It's a joke. It's, it's a joke. It's funny. Uh, uh but, uh, you know, I, 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 I thought I loved the way this ended. I loved that we had this matchup and I think. My takeaway from this whole in-season tournament, Mitch, this was a ginormous success. I think they'll have some tweaks moving forward. I think they can, you know, do some things a little differently to make it even more interesting. But I thought this was a huge success, and I loved seeing the players buy into it as well. And that's what mattered the most, right? Fans had to buy in. Fans had to care. But ultimately, the NBA players themselves had to care about this thing. Because if they didn't, it would have never worked. And it, you know, it, it could not be a success unless the players themselves were bought in. 
And it's evident in those two teams, like they wanted to win that game. Teams wanted to get into this tournament. The intensity, we talked about it, playoff-esque intensity in these games, in the play-in games. Uh, and I, I love it. Great idea by the NBA. Great idea by Adam Silver. Uh, I'm, I lo- I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the NBA in season tournament. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I think it's I think it's a good move. I think it's been a great move for the NBA to to have this in season tournament. I I really do. I just I have an issue. Do the Lakers really need a banner? Well, what do you do here? Because here's the thing. Do you do you if really? Was, no, well, hold on. Do you really need a banner for an in season tournament? Something that was at best at you know for the first time around for the first time around at best experimental just to see if it would work. Sure. And you're gonna get a. You're going to get a banner to hang up there? What if they scrap it and they never do it? That's the worst banner investment I've ever heard of in my life. I mean, If the Indiana Pacers win this, if the New Orleans Pelicans win this, if the Utah Jazz win this, no doubt 100% they're putting up a banner, right? No, like, this is a LeBron investment. No, 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 because the Lakers have enough banners. It's not like they need a banner in their rafters. No, like, but LeBron have doesn't have enough. We got to give them some more. They have to find a space to put it up in the rafters. If any franchise that hadn't accomplished very much won this thing, absolutely they're putting up a banner. So, yeah, I... Listen, they they said they're going to throw up a banner. You know, they're not going to do a ceremony about it. They'll put it up there, and I think it's great. Why not? Everyone else will put up banners if they win this thing. I don't know about that. The Sacramento Kings, a thousand percent, would have put up a banner. Well, they don't have many up there. They don't have many up there. Exactly. So why can't the Lakers? Because they have enough. They have enough. Because they they have... Wouldn't that just like take away from the entire tournament if they didn't care to recognize it at all afterwards? Let me hate LeBron for a minute, okay? Just let Why me are you hate LeBron. LeBron for this because you know one hundred percent. You know one hundred. You know one hundred percent. He had a say in this. Yeah, like he's, he's got the one who called fingers, up Ginny Buss and was like, "We need no, a banner." He's got I need a banner. Every pie in that organization. You know we had a say in the banner. Come on, you know we had a say. Everybody would put up a banner. No. Everybody would. And I think they should. Listen, yeah, uh, I'd love a parade, too. I'm just kidding. Oh, God. <laughs> now, that would be that would be too much. I can. I, I agree. With I, you on I, that. I, I will. I will. You know, I will get sour about a banner, but I'll live with it. I draw the line at a parade. There is no way in hell a parade for an in-season tournament should ever happen. I'm telling oh, you, if it was like Salt Lake, if the Utah Jazz won it, fans would think about it. They would. I mean, fans would think about it because they don't have much. You know, well, let them do that on their own, you know, on their own intuition. Yeah, but come on, on a, let the on team off day on. on a Sunday. If the team puts it on, then it's weird. Okay, it's weird. It's over the top. Yeah, no, I think in season tournament was fun. Again, uh, I'm excited to see how it grows, how it evolves, and I and I'm glad that players were interested. They were bought in. Guys wanted to win. Guys wanted to compete. It meant something to them. They played for pride, and I think that's great. That's a huge win for the NBA. No, it it is a great win. It's a great win for the NBA, and I and uh, um, I I like to see that this was a, su- a successful thing. It keeps interest throughout the middle of the year. You know, like we talked about, this kind of you know late November to early January is a dry spell for the NBA while games are still going on. There's a lot of interest lost. Uh, a good way to keep people uh, in- interested and motivated um, before kind of All Star Weekend, I guess. Um, great move by the NBA. Love to see the success. Dallin, our last bit of news here. The NFL has reportedly been working on planning to host an NFL game in Sao Paulo, Brazil, 
2024. Now, you and I have talked about how much we're a fan of these international games being played, growing the sport outside of the United States, continuing to um, make it more of a global uh, a sport, the, the sport of football. Um, and I believe, and I we, we were talking before the show, and we couldn't recall if it was a draft or maybe a top five that you did, um, but we were talking about um, cities that we would like, or cities or countries that we would like to see this happen in. And Brazil was mentioned um, mm-hmm. amongst the cities and countries uh, that we would like to see a game be hosted. And it sounds like that the NFL is working on making it happen in Brazil. Yeah, this was reported earlier today by a uh, Brazilian NFL reporter. Uh, a few people have re-reported this. It hasn't been confirmed yet. Maybe this isn't official. Uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, but I do find it fascinating and it makes a lot of sense. Listen, Brazil is the NFL's third largest market in the world, only behind the United States and Mexico. It is a bigger market for them than the UK, than Germany, than Canada. Uh, Brazil has a huge interest in the NFL and a huge growing interest in the NFL. It was a huge part of their NFL worldwide initiative, right? Where they assigned different teams to different areas. Brazil was a huge part of that. Uh, So it makes sense that they would be going there. It looks like probably 2024. And I think that's great. I love the idea of the NFL expanding out, doing more games internationally and playing in unique, interesting places. And why not Brazil? Uh, I love it. I'm a big fan of this. Yeah. Massive fan of this. Um, like you said, we, we'd love to see the growth of any sport, but as particularly as us as big football fans, we'd love to see the growth of um, professional football all around the planet. And um, why not tackle one of the biggest markets that you have? Um, in Brazil, which seems like in hindsight, maybe one of the first places we probably should have thought about going before we went over to Europe. But um, at the same time, um, it, it should be a, a great step forward for the NFL as far as growth goes. And speaking of the NFL, Dallin, it's recap time, buddy. Time to get into a little week 14 recap superlative style, just like we like to do it here on the Sports Hour. And um, big game of weeks, you know, Big game of weeks, big week of games, Dallin. We had some we had some good games this week, um, but let's kick it off with our most impressive team of the week. Dallin, I'll let you start us um, with the most impressive team to you in week 14. Yeah, and my pick this week, maybe uh, maybe it's not one of the teams you are thinking of right now as you're listening, but uh, I'm going with the Cleveland Browns. It was the team that I was most impressed with this week. And I think not only this week, but what Cleveland has been able to pull off uh, this season and over the last uh, stretches is, is really impressive. Got the win at home against the Jaguars, 31 to 27. Uh, a gutsy performance by the Browns with Joe Flacco. Yes, Joe Flacco as the quarterback, just absolutely bawling out uh, through. I mean, Attempted 45 passes, completed 26 of them, 311 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, This is a team that has been decimated by injuries. The offensive line has been torn up. Nick Chubb is out for the season. Deshaun Watson is out for the season. Uh, And you would look at this team with the injuries that they've had and suspect yeah, okay, this is probably going to, you know, trail off. And, you know, they had P.J. Walker at one point, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the rookie uh, quarterback out of UCLA playing. 
Yeah, you know, maybe they'll tread water, but uh, the, the early successful start that Cleveland had, yeah, it, it's probably not going to last. Um, and they did drop a couple road games in an ugly fashion to the Broncos and Rams, but this was a huge bounce back to get to eight wins. They're eight and five on the season. They're two games back of Baltimore in the AFC North. They are in the playoff picture in the AFC as we speak. And they have a fairly a manageable schedule down the stretch against the bears, the Texans, the jets and the Bengals. And I think we're looking at this team as a team that's going to make the playoffs. I mean, two and two gets them to 10 wins and 10 wins probably gets them an AFC playoff spot. And what this team is doing with all of those injuries, the pieces they've used to patch this thing up. This defense is great. Started off red out this season, kind of dipped back, but the talent is still all over this defense. Uh, they, especially up in the front seven, they can do more than enough to to cause damage uh, and really disrupt an offense. And then on on the offensive side of the ball, I mean, Joe Flacco's playing at a really high level. I don't know if he's going to keep that up throughout the rest of the season and into the playoffs, but. Uh, Jerome Ford has been a revelation. The the former Cincinnati uh, Bearcat cor- uh, running back who's, who's taken a lot of snaps in, in place of Nick Chubb and they've got weapons on the outside. I, I, I'm just really impressed with this team and, and what they've been able to accomplish with the injuries that they've had. Again, like they've started the most uh, offensive tackles this year of any team in the NFL. Uh, the most different amount of offensive tackles this season. They had more injuries in this game, and it just seems like they're, they've are they been able to withstand that uh, for the majority of the season. And again, eight and five right now puts them in a prime position to earn a playoff spot. And I love it. I mean, a gritty team uh, that's just finding ways to win. Yeah, they they've done a fantastic job with patching up patching up, you know, where the injuries are and and making it work. And I want to give great kudos to Kevin Stefanski on his coaching job getting that thing done. I mean, this puts them this puts them firmly in the conversation of possibly even my, one of the candidates for coach of the year, just how um, he's handled all of these injuries and has kept the Browns competitive. Um, you know, they they they've had some bad losses like you said, but um they've hung around and definitely kept themselves afloat. Probably going, you know, I would I would be on your side with betting on them to get a playoff spot at the end of the year, a playoff run. Probably not. But, you know, for them to sneak in as a wild card, I absolutely would uh, bet on the Browns uh, to get in one of those spots um, and huge win over the Jaguars. Jaguars, one of those teams that have been kind of scary to walk into week in and week out because you never know what kind of Jaguars team is going to show up. Um, a good Jaguars team showed up and the Browns just outplayed him this week. So kudos to Cleveland for getting that one done. Absolutely. Who is your most uh, who is most impressive to you this week? I mean, let me take another victory lap for the Chicago Bears, man. <laughs> I like I, I, I was going to pick the Dallas Cowboys, but we've talked about the Cowboys so much over the last couple yep. of weeks. I couldn't do it. Um, granted, the Cowboys looked great over the Eagles, but the Bears getting didn't. it done 28 13 over the Lions. This is what I hoped I would see out of the Bears this year was playing good teams tough and maybe getting a win or two out of some really good teams. This is what I hoped. Now, I know we started off rough eight and five. but If you look back, we're five and eight now. That means we're four and three over the last seven games. We're we're OK. We're OK. Yeah. I'm not so down on the Bears like I was 
when we when we first started off one and five and we looked great. <laughs> Justin Fields actually looked pretty decent. 19 for 33, 223 and one. I know last week we talked about the possibility. You know, we talked about trade scenarios for Justin Herbert. We talked Done. about, um, you know, is Justin Fields going to be the guy? I think my opinion on Justin Fields is going to change week in and week out. And I'm like, I'm just going to flip flop on him consistently until um, until a, a, a move is made. Justin Fields played fantastic. Um, I don't know, though, if the recent success, if the Bears even split their last two games, they get to seven wins or eight wins. If it's enough for uh, Matty Refluse to keep his job, especially if Jim Harbaugh is going to be available, they might be willing to move on. But um, Chicago has looked really, really impressive um, over the last seven games given the circumstances that they're in. And they looked really impressive against a very, very good Lions team who we were talking about as one of the better teams in the NFC bears defense has absolutely showed up over the last few weeks and holds a, a very potent Lions offense to 13 while putting up 28 themselves. This is, this is, I I'm excited about football in Chicago again, down. I'm excited about bears football again. I love that. And listen, they're winners of the three of their last four games. So the only loss in that stretch was a five point loss on the road at Detroit. And they get the revenge here in, uh, in the Windy City. And uh, l- listen, I think this is all great for Chicago. You want to see down the stretch of this season positive things. Uh, I I do think that it's not going to save Eberflus's job. It's not going to save Justin Fields, his job here. But mm-hmm. that's okay because you have the Carolina Panthers draft pick. So you don't have to worry about winning games and, oh, no, or we're ruining our draft position. Oh, are we going to be in the, you know, be able to get the top guy that we want? You don't have to worry about this. Wins are good. Wins are good mojo. They're good vibes. They're, they're team building. You can still have a shot at the number one pick. And if this team has back-to-back years at the number one pick, you cannot, you cannot not draft a quarterback with, with back-to-back right. years of the number one pick. Like you Especially just with this class. You just can't do that. Last year, yeah, it made sense. You know, give Fields another shot, you know, move move back, whatever. But you get it again this year, you're going to have to move on. If you're going to draft a quarterback, th- then you got to let Eberflus go and bring in a guy to build around whatever quarterback you do bring in and kind of reset everything. It, it just makes a lot of sense, but it's all good as a fan for you, uh, for the bears team, for the franchise. It's all good. This is good, positive stuff because you're building towards the future. You're building foundational pieces. You're finding out what works. DJ Moore is clearly having a huge impact on this team oh, is proving his worth week by week on this team. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think of a guy like Jalen Johnson at cornerback, who's really had a great season this year. You're starting to see, okay, he could be a guy. Okay. This, he could be a guy. You're starting to sort of piece these, this roster together, finding those foundational pieces. You still have questions at the edge. You still have questions on the offensive line. You need to solve the quarterback, but you're starting to piece these things together and earning a win like this against a, a division rival. Fantastic. So yeah, I was very impressed uh, by the bears. I will say, I do think that part of this is a little bit on the lions. I think the lions are just not quite as good as we think that they are, that maybe the record shows. I think they're clearly a step behind those top three teams in the NFC and maybe still a team that's a year early a year away from being a true true contender right they've taken a leap this year 
uh, like we expected them to. And they are a very talented team, but still a team with deficiencies, still a team with a quarterback and Jared Goff, who at best is like the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. Right. I mean, maybe top 10, top 12 at, at best when he's playing at his best, but can also regress to a top 20, 25 quarterback. Right. And so I think the Lions still have some question marks there, but very impressive for your bears. And I'm just, I'm so happy for you that you're going to be able to have the number one pick in the draft next year because of my Panthers. I'm so so happy for you. I I have to, (laughs) that was the most like (laughs) gritting your teeth as that comes out of your mouth. I'm so happy for you. Oh, so great. Look, man, I, I, I appreciate what your Carolina Panthers are doing for us this year. I really appreciate it. We're doing the Lord's work over there in Carolina. That's for sure. Um, uh, yeah, that's it. Who was, uh, who was most disappointing to you this week? I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of talk about this particular team, I guess on my behalf this week, um, because I had a serious problem with, um, what happened during the game, what happened after the game, but the Kansas city chiefs, um, Mm -hmm. were exceptionally disappointing. Um, and they have been, I guess for half the year this year, it feels like. Um, even when they're eking out, you know, they're eight and five, but it feels like maybe at least two or three of those wins, they could have been in a losing situation. Um, they put themselves in another losing situation, dropping a game to the bills here. The bills getting it done 20 to 17. Um, we all know how that game ended and we'll get to that in just a little bit. But, um, as far as performance wise, Patrick Mahomes has not looked like the same Patrick Mahomes, obviously, uh, the wide receiver core is a huge hit um, that for him and the way, you know, his ability to be able to elevate those guys that, that he just hasn't, he has nothing to throw to there um, outside of Travis Kelsey. Um, I guess you could say Rasheed Rice is a semi dependable target, but he's not even a hundred percent dependable all the time. Um, it just seems like this is um, the Kansas City Chiefs are still kind of in their, era of dominance but this is by far the worst chiefs team that we've seen in a while and um just disappointing that such a prolific offense that we've seen over the last few years only puts up 17 um against a bills team that has honestly struggled this year great granted they're seven and six but has struggled yeah you know uh Chiefs started six and one this year they're two and four in their last six games And, you know, one of the things that I, one of the trends from this Chiefs team is that this defense has really carried this team for most of, if not the entire season. They're third in points against on defense this year. They're 11th in points for, but if you look at their last six games, it's not because of the last six, it's because of the first six or seven games that they were scoring as much. Uh, I mean, I think they've they've only eclipsed 30 points uh, one time in the past six games. In fact, they've scored under 21 points in four of those six, uh, sorry, five of those six games. So this is an offense that's clearly struggling, clearly not on the same page. And to see how this all ended with the Kadarius, Tony, uh, offensive offsides, he was clearly offsides. Like, there's, there's really yeah. there's really no debate. You could go look at the images. You can go look at the copy. 
uh, all 22 TV copy, whatever you want to look like, he is offsides. Uh, and we wouldn't be having, we wouldn't have had the debate around it. We wouldn't have had the visceral reaction around that moment if it didn't come on the incredible play that Travis Kelsey made, throwing it back to Tony, who then scores on the touchdown. Like, if that's an incomplete pass, or if that's an eight-yard gain, and then it gets called back for offensive offsides, like, we don't get the reaction from fans. We don't get the reaction from Patrick Mahomes, from Andy Reid. Like, we don't get any of that. It only happens because the play that happened afterwards. But a penalty is a penalty. That's how the game works. It's how it has to be called. And it was extremely disappointing to see Mahomes and Andy Reid and this Chiefs team react the way that they did. Uh, To see Mahomes go to Josh Allen after the game and say, that was the worst fucking call I've seen in my life. Like, how do you call that? Like, after the game, bro, like, tell him good game, good luck the rest of the season, and move the fuck on. Like, what are we doing? You guys are the defending Super Bowl champions. You guys have won two Super Bowls, not to mention, and and this has been litigated. I'm sure everyone's talked about it, not to mention how many calls have gone their way over the years that have helped them win games and even bigger games than this week 14 game on a Sunday afternoon. Right. Okay. All right. to, to, To do all of that is just it was just disappointing. It was just really like. It just made me like feel icky and made me not want to root for Mahomes and Reed. And that sucks because I've liked rooting for the Chiefs. Okay. I'm just gonna go I'm gonna go out of order here, Dallin. I'm gonna go with my big L since you brought it up. Um I'm I'm sorry I'm doing this out of order because now I have to get this off my chest before I even do before I but before I lose my mind. Patrick Mahomes is my big L. When you <laughs> When you talk about how he in his press conference, he was like, I don't think you make that call in that in that moment. You know, it's a it's a great that's a great seminal moment. You know, you, you, know, you, you don't make that call in that moment. Dude, if they didn't make the James Bradbury call they did in the Super Bowl last year, where it was clearly not a hold on it, I think it was Markel's Mark was it MVS. I think the hold call was on that actually gave them the opportunity to advance the ball and seal the game. You wouldn't have a Super Bowl victory, dude. When we talk about like tick and you brought it up with like so many calls that go the Chiefs way. If that if that James Bradbury call in the Super Bowl against the Eagles doesn't happen, which was a ticky tacky call, you don't have a Super Bowl. Now you're going to complain a guy that was clearly offsides like no, no question, no debate. The guy was offsides. I mean, this, this is just, this is an absurd argument from Patrick Mahomes, and it, it cements him as a baby back bitch to me. <laughs> in fact, it, Dallin, we haven't had one of these in a while. Pit of misery. Oh, dilly dilly. Dang. Patrick Mahomes going in the pit of misery. Um, it's just it's. It's so distasteful the way he handled this entire situation. And I I hope he wake he woke up the next day seeing all the clips and felt terrible about it. Yeah. I really hope he did because that's not the way an NFL superstar should conduct themselves, especially when you're the NFL superstar, like you are the number one guy. Face of the league. Face of the league, that's not the way you conduct yourself. Yeah. Um, and I hope he feels shitty about that because like that was just Cla- unclassy that was the classlessness to the nth degree on the way he handled that call 
Yeah, I know. He, I know that he's come out since and apologized for how he reacted for you know the things he said to Josh Allen and whatnot, and uh, as he should, obviously, because I'm sure he looked back and was like, "I'm a jackass." Uh, and again, it's just, it's just lame. It just is lame. It's lame. It's so lame. You know, it's move on. Like, if you want calls to go for you. Calls are also going to go against you. That's just how it works. You know, it's just how it is. And you got to just accept that that's part of life. That's part of the NFL. It's part of the imperfect game. And that's 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 what it is. And it, it sucks that that ruined like that whole game. And it feels like, you know, obviously this has much more to do than that game. This, right. this is a, an accumulation of the frustrations of this season. His wide receivers who can't catch balls when he needs them to, who can't be consistent when he needs them to, this offense that's clearly in a rut. And it all just kind of came out at the end of this loss, right? And hopefully for the Chiefs, they figure things out. They can right the ship and move past this in a positive way. It doesn't drag them down for the rest of the season. We'll see what happens with them. But uh, yeah, just uh, it's just gross. Just sucks. Yeah, what are we doing? God. I mean, they're holding and Andy back. Reed calling it embarrassing. Like I love oh, Andy Reed. And that's I mean, the one that, that's the one that hurt. That's the one yeah, that hurt me like, the most. Andy, I was like, stay out of this. You like, you're better than this. You know, you know this is, uh, yeah. this is outside of Bill Belichick. I think the greatest coach of this era that we've yeah. had probably from, you know, 95 on like the, the greatest coach of that era outside of Bill Belichick. And for him to make those comments, man, I was just like, God, yeah. Andy, I'm such a big Andy Reid fan. And right. why are you saying this? Yes. Like, yeah. You, I know you don't mean that. Like, I don't right. I know you don't feel that in your heart. You're just <laughs> reacting to the situation. Yeah. But damn it. That's the one that hurt the most was yeah. Andy Reid's. 100 percent. I'm with you there. It was well yeah. deserved for the big L's. So uh, I like sorry. I like sorry. That. I went out of order You're... there, but I, I had to get that off my chest since we were, we're there. We're... Yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, that was more than uh, that was more than right there. I like that. Uh, okay, Mitch, my right. most disappointing team. So Mitch had the Chiefs for most disappointing. Uh, I'm going with another AFC contender. I'm going with the Dolphins for most disappointing team after their Monday night loss uh, to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they fell uh, last night. Uh, again, we're recording this on December 12th on Tuesday. They fell 28 to 27 to the Titans after having a two touchdown lead with. Uh, like five or six minutes left in this game and then absolutely blew the the lead. And listen, Miami's still nine and four, second best record in the AFC, still like a playoff uh, playoff team, a Super Bowl contender, all that. It's just the nature of this loss that was really disappointing to me. Uh, losing to a, a Titans team that's not very good. And listen, the Titans showed a lot of heart. That defensive line played incredible. Will Levis down the stretch of that game, just really gutsy performance. And I love to see that for the rookie. But uh, I, I'm disappointed in this Dolphins team because I think we're just seeing what's going to hold them back from being a Super Bowl contender and a Super Bowl winner this year. Uh, and that is that you had a banged up Tyree kill in this game who was playing maybe like 40% of the snaps. I, I'd love to look at the snap counts to know how much he played because he was in and out of that game. He was not a factor. He's dealing with an ankle injury and he still played and he was still contributed in some ways. But when he's limited and the only other option you have to throw to is Jalen Waddle, that offense becomes real one dimensional and they can run the ball at a very high level. And they did that with Mostert and Achan and they're still able to do that. 
but their offensive line is also banged up. And that offensive line got eaten alive by a Titans defense and a Titans defensive line. That's not very good. Like not a, not an elite defensive unit there. And they were eating them alive at the end of the game. Tua had like 0.8 seconds to throw a ball before Harold Landry is sitting in his lap. I mean, it's, and, and I'm watching this last night just thinking, like, what happens if you play Cleveland? I mean, you just talked about the Browns. What happens when you play Cleveland? What happens when you play the Broncos? What happens when you play the Ravens? Like, you guys, you guys are going to get toasted. Oh, what if you play the Chiefs? Like, these defensive lines are going to feast on this offensive line if they're playing at, at that level and if they can't stay healthy. And again, when you take out Tyree Kill, who is, in my opinion, the MVP of this season up to this point, the most impactful player in the NFL. I mean, it just shows the deficiencies of this team. It's very top heavy, right? And when you get to that depth, it's obviously severely lacking. So that's where my disappointment lies with Miami. Not in this necessarily one particular loss. It's just that I think we saw a blueprint for how they're going to get bounced in the divisional round. You know what I mean? Well, like how how things will unravel in the playoffs and what deficiencies this team still has to get themselves to true contender status. And that's fine. You don't have to be a contender this year. It's a building process, but they clearly got to get deeper at pass catcher and they've got to get this offensive line in a better spot uh, if they're really going to compete in the AFC. I mean, well, I mean, this is just it's it's very clear to me. The Dolphins by far are worse than any other team in the NFL at taking advantage of momentum. Mm, yeah, they they get the 70 point win. They are the, or the excuse me, the 50 point win, putting up 70 on the Broncos right. very next week, get their ass handed to them. They are up 14 against Tennessee, blow the game in the fourth quarter. This is not the first time we've seen them, you know, blow leads this year either. I mean, right. they uh, of all the good teams that we think are contenders, and I think more so than any team in the NFL, the Dolphins are worse at driving the spike they got the foot on the neck and they don't step down yeah um they just do not close games out and let's say we're in a situation where you know because it's still mathematically possible the bills win the division the dolphins are in as a wild card let's put them in that scenario and they go out and they play a hell of a wild card game i don't know if i want to take them to win that divisional game because they may not ride that momentum like it's it's just they build this momentum up and they have it in their advantage to their advantage and they don't take advantage of it and it falls apart completely i think that this is a team that is so so talented but they don't have that killer instinct and it's going to come back to bite them like like you said it's going to come back to bite them come playoff time Definitely. Yeah, and and I think it's indicative. You look, you look at their schedule: four, nine and four on the season. Obviously, this loss to Tennessee. The other three losses: Mitch, Kansas City Chiefs, Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles. Teams you're probably Every, going to see. <laughs> everybody else they've beaten is yeah. bad to mid teams this season, right? And they've handled those teams, and that's yeah, good teams dominate bad teams, right? But when they've played. Uh, other contenders, right? Te- uh, their peers, right? Teams that are also at that tier of the NFL, they've lost those games. So, you know, it's just one I, of those, like, that. they're going to yeah. get there. They're, they're a competitive team. They're going to be in the mix. But again, I think this game just showed where they lack still in a way that I think, like, Baltimore doesn't. 
in a way that I think maybe some of these other teams and the AFC is pretty wide open right now. I don't think there's a lot of teams outside of Baltimore that I that you look at and feel really sure and secure about being well-rounded and not really having a question like everybody's got a question mark on their roster right and you could even argue Baltimore has that as well but it's yeah I just I think you saw some of those inherent flaws that this roster has and where things can go wrong for them come playoff time yeah I mean it the AFC really is wide open and and you're right this the Ravens really are the only team that feel like the only team we can feel confident in um, and being a true contender out of the AFC. And Dallin, I'll let you take the reins here on the overreaction uh, for the week because yeah, it ties into that a little bit. It feeds right into this. And I, I didn't mean to do that per se, but uh, I had a great natural segue there. Uh, my overreaction for this week. And uh, I'm pretty, pretty confident just stamping this down right now that the NFC will win Super Bowl 58. Uh, I I think this week was an indication that the AFC is talented and deep. I mean, what, there's like nine or ten teams that are seven and six or better. The hunt Uh, is crazy. It's it's like everybody is in contention still for a playoff spot in this conference. And rightfully so, because you have so much talent and a lot of good teams. But the great teams reside in the NFC, right? Philly, Dallas, San Francisco. To me, they're the three clear teams at the top of this league, let alone their own conference. Again, Baltimore is the only other team I'd feel confident in right now as being a well-rounded unit, a team that can win on offense, on defense, on special teams. It's got it all figured out. Doesn't have huge inherent flaws or question marks around them. But even that being said, I feel extremely confident that whoever comes out of the NFC of those three teams, I mentioned Dallas, San Francisco, Philly, whoever comes out of the NFC is going to end up winning Super Bowl 58, Uh, whether it's the Chiefs who end up in the AFC, Dolphins, Ravens, Bills, Jags. I mean, uh, Browns, whoever you want to throw in there wouldn't make a difference to me. I feel extremely confident at this point. We could say the NFC is taking home the next Super Bowl. I I. I think as of week 14, that's not the spiciest take I've ever heard in my life. So I'm not I'm not going to say it's an overreaction. I think it's bold. Um, because there's still three weeks left and we don't know how teams are going to transition uh, into the playoffs uh, after the regular season. We we also have to look at like, you know, are these teams going to, you know, do we think this team's going to play good off the bye? Um, right. You know, I, I think that we're, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different factors going to it, but I don't think that's the spiciest take I've ever heard in the world because I think the three best teams in the NFL right now if I had to rank my top five, the top three would be NFC teams. And they're yeah. the teams that you mentioned um, in Dallas, Philadelphia, and San Francisco. Not necessarily in that order. It would probably be San Francisco, Dallas, and Philly if I were going to put them in an order. But um, I, I think you're 100% on board on you know on the point there uh, with NFC probably being the favorite uh, to win uh, Super Bowl 58. Love that. Love that hot take. Love it. Um, and Dallin, I'm going to stay in the NFC. I'm going to stay in the NFC, and I'm going to say that the Rams are going to steal a seven seed in the NFC. Okay. Now this this is a team that is six and seven right now. They're a losing record. When you look at the rest of the NFC, they're going to have to compete with teams um, for that wild card, like the Minnesota Vikings, like the Green Bay Packers, um, either one of the. F- Bucks, Falcons, Saints. I probably would just say the Bucks and Falcons. I don't think the Saints are probably really true contenders there. 
the Seahawks. I, I think you know those are going to be the teams that they're going to have to the Vikings teams that they're going to have to compete for that seven seed. But when I look at this Rams team and I look at their last four weeks, four straight wins, got it done 17, 16 over the hot or over the Seahawks, 37, 14 over the Cardinals handily took care of the Browns, a, a defense that we just praised just a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. 36, 19, and then just dropped a game to the Ravens this last week in overtime. Yeah. Took the Ravens to the wire. I think this is a sneaky competitive Rams team. And I love I love the the addition of Kyron Williams. I know he's been coming you know, he's coming back. He's going to be an integral part of that offense. A, a guy that seemingly came out of nowhere to be a part of that. Puka Nakua, we've mentioned him multiple times on here. All-time name all-time rookie season that he's having great, great uh, work from the rookie. Um, and Matthew Stafford seems to have kind of found his feet again. He he was really bad last year, um, but seems to be playing uh, a little bit more conservatively and a little bit more efficiently uh, in his older years. And has kind of seemed to figure that out um, while still being under center for the LA Rams. I love this Rams team to kind of be a sneaky seven seed. And I think they'll lock that seven seed up. Yeah, I, I don't think this is an overreaction at all, Mitch. And you look at the NFC, I mean, we can pencil in five teams, right? You've got Dallas and Philly. They will both be in. One will win the division. One will be the five seed. Uh, Detroit is going to be in, probably going to win the NFC North. But at this point with nine wins, you know, we could put them in. Uh, San Francisco's in. And then an NFC South team has to get in, right? They have to win their division. One so of them Somebody is to. getting in. That leaves two playoff spots left. I'd argue that the Rams, I'd feel most confident today in saying the Rams would be the sixth seed. Of all the teams remaining left, I'd feel most confident in the Rams with how they're playing right now and how the rest of the season plays out, right? Minnesota's seven and six, but they just benched Josh Jobs for Nick Mullins. I mean, they beat the Raiders three to nothing. Like, that was not an impressive win. And without Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson's injury, uh, you know, we don't know how Minnesota's going to end this season. You mentioned the NFC South teams competing in there. And then Seattle, who is just falling off a cliff right now in this extremely tough stretch of the season that the Seahawks have had to play. Meanwhile, the Rams, over the next three weeks, get to play the Commanders, the Saints, and the Giants. Right. They end end the season in San Francisco, but it's not inconceivable that they're going to be nine and seven heading into that game and maybe already locked up a playoff spot. I I think the Rams are absolutely uh, a a team that should make the wild card. I don't think this is an overreaction. And uh, listen, I had them at eight and nine before the season, just outside of the playoff picture. But I felt like this was a team that was going to at least be competitive and was just maybe being overlooked a little bit after the absolute drop-off they had last year following their Super Bowl victory. They've gotten things right. They've had huge contributions from young players, as you mentioned, both on offense and on defense. Uh, And the defense is really the big factor uh, that actually has made them competitive this year. But I, again, of those teams at seven and six, six and seven in the NFC, vying for those last two playoff spots, I'd feel most confident that the Rams will find themselves in that, in one of those two spots. I love it. Oh, oh yeah. And uh, let's hypotheticals here. Niners are on cruise control in week 18. They bench some starters, save some health. Yeah. Maybe the Rams find their way winning 10, getting 10 wins here. 
Yeah. And we're talking and six seed is completely plausible um, in the in the NFC right now. Uh, probably more plausible than not than being a six seed at 10 wins. So, yeah, love that. Love that. Love that. Dallin, yeah, MVP, go. Um, go ahead and talk about your boy. Go ahead and talk about <laughs> your boy. The BYU guy is going to go ahead and take a victory lap here. Yeah, well, this is a victory lab for Zach Wilson, who's the MVP this week. And I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit. We know everything that's gone around this New York Jets team this season and this quarterback room specifically. We talked last week on the podcast, right, of, you know, the report, uh, Zach being reluctant to get back in. They released Tim Boyle. Sala comes down and says, we're rolling with Zach. And I just, I love that he came out and played the best game of his young NFL career <laughs> against the Houston Texans this week, earning the 30 to six win. And Zach was on point 27 for 36, 301 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, had one fumble, uh, but did everything that we would hoped to see from him. And I love that he's auditioning for his new team next year right now and saying, all right, Jets, I'm going to do my thing. And I'm going to look really good. And then you guys could trade me or you could cut me or whatever. I'm going somewhere else next season. And I, I'm glad for him that he's going to be able to put on, hopefully, over the last four weeks, culminating off of this uh, performance, a good audition for future teams to show, listen, it's not just me. <laughs> it's this franchise. It's everything around this team. I'm not just the sole problem. There's redeemable qualities there. Will he become a full-time starter at some point in his career? Who knows? But the kid's got talent. And he's been put in arguably one of the worst situations we've seen. I mean, the Jets are the Jets. We, like, we've seen this for years and years and years. And I just love that he had a good moment. After all of the down, you know, the fact that he became the scapegoat for this season, right? And why things were going so bad. And they bench him and things don't get any better. Then he gets back in and he leads them to a win, their best win of the season. So, uh, yeah, happy for Zach. And again, I, I just look at this as an audition for his his team next year, you know, and and whoever is going to take a shot on redeeming Zach Wilson. I think there will be interest. I, you know, he's the number two overall pick in the draft, right? He has he had a lot of talent uh, coming out of BYU and he it's still there in some capacity. Someone's got to figure out what he could be and. It's not going to be with New York, but I was happy to see this uh, this week after all of the drama in this quarterback room for him to come out and ball out. Uh, yeah, great. I kind of like I kind of like his approach to the week, too, because I, I, I wish I would have saved this quote because I forget what teammate he was talking to. But I saw this, that he made a quote to a teammate that like, you know, and he said, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to bench me again. Right. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, what's you know, what do I got to lose? Pretty much. You yeah. know. And he went out and put on a clinic. And so, you know, good for the kid. You know, I, I've been kind of a Zach. I've been a Zach Wilson critic, critic, you know, kind of his entire career. Um, but I don't hate the guy. I don't hate the guy. And so I, I like to see him succeed. Um, I do think that, you know, there, there are flaws in his game, but damn it. He looked pretty goddamn good to this last week. Yeah. Um, and I think he's, he's going to be, have a great opportunity to put on a great audition um, for 
you know, whatever team is going to sign him, what t- over team is going to bring him in. And yeah, you know, on, you know, you brought him, you brought up him being the scapegoat. He, you know, Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. You know, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? The season was over the it minute was over that then. Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles. Right. But it didn't stop Jets fans and Jets media. And frankly, the Jets franchise from throwing Zach under the bus every week for the fact that they were losing. Right. Right even though he had led them to a four and four record while he was the starter, you know, so it's something that made sense, but just not, it's just not, uh, yeah. I just like to see it for the kid in that situation. And, uh, yeah, good to see, good to see a little redemption for Zach Wilson. What about you, Mitch? Who is your MVP this week? Well, I don't, I don't mean to dwell on a, on a, you know, on an old, topic i don't mean to you know beat a dead horse but i did give my mvp to carl sheffers who was the uh the lead official in that kansas city chiefs game um for standing by the call for standing by the call and not backing down to any media pressure any pressure from patrick mahomes or andy Reid or anything like he stood by the call he said hey look he was offsides that's the call we made you know they i saw the statistic they you know they've been made a point of making this call more often. They made it once in 2021. They took made the call twice in 2022. It's happened 11 times in 2023. I saw Nick Wright of Fox sports makes a, and, and Nick Wright is just a, he's a bum. He's a clown. He's a, he's a total idiot. One of the I worst. One I of the can't worst. stand Nick Wright, but he, you know, he made something about, well, none of them are called an offensive lineman. Well, who gives shit if it's an offensive lineman or the fucking quarterback? If it's, if it's, Offensive offsides, it's offensive offsides. Who cares what position it's called on? So he stood by the call. He made the call. He's going to get some backlash, but he hasn't backed down. And Carl Sheffers, who gets a lot of flack for being, you know, missing some big calls, um, I think made the right one, and he's standing by it firmly. And so I have to applaud Carl Sheffers for that. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, big L. Mitch obviously gave his big L earlier to Patrick Mahomes. Well, yeah, uh, well deserved there. My big L this week goes to uh, us, the NFL fans who missed out on a historic opportunity and missed out on a potential zero zero tie in this Minnesota Vikings uh, Las Vegas Raiders game, which ended in a three zero victory for the Vikings. By the way, that is the lowest scoring NFL game in 16 years. The last time we had a 0-0 tie, by the way, you'd have to go back to 1943 between the Giants and the Lions. Last time we had a 0-0 tie. That we were this close to history, Mitch. And I just, I, I listen, this is for the sickos out there. This is for the maniacs. I get it. This is not an entertaining game. There were 23 drives in this game, Mitch. 18 of those drives ended in a punt. Shout out to punters out there. 18 drives ended in a punt. I wish I could give a big W for punters. I mean, that would be an MVP this week could have been the punting in that game. 18, 23 drives in the game. 18 of them were punts. We had a missed field goal. We had three drives end in a turnover. And then we had a the lone scoring drive of the game, the field goal in the fourth quarter for the Vikings. Uh, that is 
that's an absolutely atrocious game. It is ugly. It's awful. Uh, I mean, even the Iowa Hawkeyes were out there like, guys, can we score some points? This is getting <laughs> ugly. I mean, it was just incredible. And we missed out on history. We could have had a, you know, we should have had a 0-0 game. And then, of course, they had to ruin it with the field goal. So. Yeah, was was Kirk Ferentz on the sideline for that game? I mean, my <laughs> goodness. What, what an awful, awful yeah. game. By far worst game of the year, right? I mean, it has we to have, be. We have to add this to our NFL awards at the end of the year of worst game of the year. This has to be top of the list. I mean, this absolutely. Is, this was awful. This was absolutely awful. Yes, awful and awful for us to have to witness all that and then not get NFL history out of it. At least give yeah, us something. If, if it's going to be zero zero, give us something historic with this. Yeah, you know? exactly. Then That's I probably enjoy it. But, exactly. Yeah. Then it becomes a good thing. Instead, yeah. we just all take the L. Uh, yeah. So there you go. That's uh, yeah. what we got for NFL superlatives. Yeah, that's all we got for NFL superlatives, Dallin. That is it for the recap. And that is it for the first half of this podcast. Dallin, let's go ahead and take a quick mid roll. Take a quick break. Everyone get up, stretch your legs, get your popcorn, refill that drink. And when we come back. We're going to get into a little Kraken update. We got some more campus tour as we have uh, uh, some Heisman discussion. Um, and then we're going to have a draft down, a draft within that campus tour. Going to be a ton of fun for that. We also got our NFL quick picks around at the show. You're not going to want to miss it. So stick around and we'll be right back. Thanks for sticking around with us through the mid roll. Dallin, still some more sports, sports, sports to get to on the backside of this. And let's kick it off in the NHL with our weekly Kraken update. Got to talk about the Kraken. It's, uh, I know that Seattle is known for having a lot of rainy days throughout the course of the year, weather wise. It seems like there seems to be more rainy days in Seattle, uh, 
nowadays with with how bad the Kraken have been recently. Things yeah. not good with the boys. Yeah, uh, we we've been talking about it. It's it's not been a good stretch for the Kraken, and it continues. Uh, oh, two and one over the last week. Eight, fourteen, and seven on the season. Eight straight losses for the Seattle Kraken. They're playing right now. Actually, again, we're we're live on or we're doing this on December twelfth recording. And they are up in the second period over the Florida Panthers, one nothing at this moment. But eight straight L's for the Kraken. Not what you want to see. Uh, they've got seven overtime losses. It's tied for the most in the NHL this season in overtime losses, uh, tied with the New York Islanders. And the only silver lining there is that you still get a point for an overtime loss in the NHL. So it has kept us out of the bottom of the standings, but we're getting precariously close to the San Jose Sharks, Mitch, and it is not feeling great. Like if it isn't for those overtime losses, we would be down there with the Sharks right now. And that is not good. That is absolutely not okay. So, uh, yeah, boys for Christmas, I'm asking for a second half resurgence for the Seattle Kraken because we need it. God, we need it in the worst way, man. Tied for most overtime losses at seven, eight straight losses. I mean, it's just not good. Not good for the Kraken. But you know what? Like we always say, Dallin, it's a long season. A lot of puck left. But I'm starting to get a little antsy. I'm like, okay, yes. boys, at, at, at some point, we got to get this going now. Like, <laughs> all right, we're done sucking, right? Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. The patience is running out uh, pretty quickly, uh, especially with the nature of these losses. I know we've talked about this. It's, we're taking leads into the third period and blowing leads into the third period, taking it to overtime and losing. And, and it's like almost every single night. It's getting to the point like, can we just freaking hold on to a lead and win a game? I mean, it's just ridiculous. So right. patience is running out for this team. Got to get things moving here in the right direction soon. That's right. That's right. We got to get moving. That's for sure. Dallin. We'll, uh, we'll have another Kraken update next week, that's for sure. But let's move on to the campus tour. And campus tour, guys, the regular season is over. It is uh, going to look a little different uh, through bowl season. Uh, much shorter uh, than it has been throughout the course of the year. But college football is still among us, down, And the most prestigious trophy in all of college football, I would say even more so than the national championship trophy. Uh, was handed out this week, uh, going to Jaden Daniels of LSU, quarterback at LSU, um, getting the Heisman Trophy. Uh, one of those guys that we talked about as one of our top three finalists um, with Michael Penix and Bo Nix, who also finished two and three respectively um, in the Heisman voting. And Dallin, I just want to get your initial reaction to this because we had talked about how there was a case for all three of these guys. Yeah. Um, and how, but how we felt that Jaden Daniels probably had the best numbers of all of these guys. Um, maybe not necessarily the best narrative, but the numbers were all there for Jaden Daniels. He gets up, uh, he winds up getting the most first place votes, getting the Heisman trophy. So your reaction, I guess, to, um, the results of the Heisman trophy voting. Yeah. I think this was what I thought would happen. I think in my heart of hearts, if I had a vote, I might have voted for Penix at number one, just because of the story of Washington. 
what he was able to accomplish this year, even dating back to last year, and just that offense in general. I think in my heart, I maybe would have leaned towards Penix, but I have no issues with Jaden Daniels winning this award. He accounted for 50 total touchdowns this year, completed 72% of his passes, averaged 11.7 yards per attempt, and added 1,100 rushing yards on the ground. Yeah, I know I've seen this talked about. A lot of this came against bad teams. He had like six or seven touchdowns against Georgia Southern. Yeah, okay, you can say, yeah, you know, stat padded or whatever you want to say. That doesn't take away from the incredible season that Jaden Daniels had. And the fact that he's played himself into top 10 draft consideration in the 2024 NFL draft. That is how he's being looked at right now after the season that he's put up. And I think this is fun, Mitch. I remember I met Jaden Daniels uh, at uh, Pac-12 Media Day in uh, in 2020 when I went to L.A. to cover that uh, as part of the radio station that I work for. And uh, he was one of the two Arizona State players at that, uh, at that Pac-12 Media Day. And uh, this was, that was his final season with Arizona State. And I remember just looking at Jane Daniels and what he'd been in Arizona State, a really high-level recruit, and it just had never panned out. He was extremely inconsistent, really couldn't pass the ball very well. BYU ended up playing him that year. They ended up beating Arizona State. And even in that game, it was you saw the dynamism with his legs, what he could do on the ground, but he just wasn't consistent as a passer. And it just – when he went to LSU, I kind of thought – Really? Like that's that's who that's who you're going after? Like I didn't see it. Frankly, I didn't see it. I wasn't impressed. Wasn't impressed by him. Wasn't impressed by his play at Arizona State. What a redemption story for him. I mean, there's this va- famous viral video, you may have already seen it, uh of his teammates clearing out his locker the day he transferred out of Arizona State, man, saying, oh, he was a bum anyway. They're going through his shit, just taking his shit out of the locker because he had transferred, he was out of there, and they said, good riddance. And here he is two years later on the Heisman stage, winning the award for the best college football player of that season. Again, on his way to the NFL to be probably a top 10 pick in the draft and got to give the kid a lot of credit. Got to give him a ton of credit for the work that he put in to to meet that potential that he always had and put it all together and have an incredible season in 2023. And you know what? He was absolutely deserving of this award. award and I wouldn't have been mad if Knicks won it. I wouldn't have been mad if Penix won it. I wouldn't be. I'm not mad that Daniels won it. Like you said, all three were deserving, but I, I I think it's a fantastic story and he's more than deserving of winning this award. I think more so than any other year, this was a narrative award. Yeah. Because the all three of those top guys, Daniels, Penix, Knicks, all had narratives behind like of their college football journey. Right? Daniels hated in Arizona State when he transferred, was questionable at best to go to LSU is this really going to work out absolutely develops into a superstar Penix leaves a struggling Indiana program and it's like man you know Washington is is this going to be the right move for him is this the the leap that he needs to make you know Trent you know this is new transfer portal era um he absolutely makes it happen Nick's a prodigy a guy that was a a 
um, I'm I'm looking for the right word here, Dallin. They, but his dad was the you know was the quarterback of Auburn. Yeah. He was, he was a legacy to, player for Auburn. A legacy, yeah, 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 a legacy player for Auburn. He's meant to be a legacy, you know, a, a, the quarterback at Auburn. Things don't go right. He decides to carve his own path and go to Oregon. Like they all have their own narrative, and I think if this was any other year, then you know, I, I I think that this year more so than anything was a narrative year for the Heisman Trophy. It really did truly come down to numbers, and Jaden Daniels had the better numbers. They all had great stories. They all had great paths to their greatness at college football. But Jaden Daniels just had the better numbers at the end of it. And he's more than deserving to win it. Like you said, I would have been mad if it was Penix or book or Penix or Knicks. Um, but Jaden Daniels um, is completely fitting of winning that Heisman trophy this year. Yeah. And listen, say what you will about the transfer portal and college football. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people complain about it and, oh, it's ruining college football. Oh, these guys aren't, aren't loyal and they, and they just go for money and they do this and that. But you look at those three players, those three quarterbacks, not a single one of them would be on that stage on last Saturday had the transfer portal not been available and had they not be able to find redemption mm-hmm. with the new program, had they stayed at Arizona State Indiana and Auburn respectively, they would not be Heisman finalists. They would not be NFL quarterbacks. They wouldn't have accomplished what they accomplished had they not had the opportunity to enter the transfer portal and find the right situation. And I think that's the good of the transfer portal. It has its negatives. It is rampant guys enter in that shouldn't right guys go in there for the wrong reasons. But if you go in there with the right reasons, with the right mentality, these are the kind of things that we see. These are the kind of stories that we are seeing in college football. All three of these guys elevated their play to another level by transferring to a different program and finding themselves in a better situation. And that's why the transfer portal is good for college football, in my opinion. It's things, it's stories like this. It's players like Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix. Michael Penix, who are showing you that, you know, what you saw from a kid as a freshman, sophomore at a program is not what they may end up being. And maybe that situation just isn't right. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I was one of those guys that was indifferent about the transfer portal, transfer, transfer portal, probably a little bit more on the old head side. But after this year, this this has convinced me this is a good thing for college football. And it puts the best players, whether we know that they're the best players or not, they just might be in bad situations. It puts the best players towards the top as far as, um, you know, recognition and get, you know, getting the the recognition that they deserve. Um, and that certainly was the case for Jaden Daniels, Michael Penix, Bo Nix. Um, really, a lot of these guys in this list. I, I do have one um, qualm. Um, who, who the fuck voted for Cody Schrader? For first place for Feisman to, to for a first place Heisman vote, who was that guy? Yeah, I I, I want to know who that a was. Missouri because... beat writer, a Missouri beat writer, Mitch. That's who voted for Missouri running back Corey Schrader for the Heisman. I I, I like he's a hey, great player. I like yeah. him, but like not Heisman worthy. Like yeah. not not in the least. Uh, yeah, but and to I didn't go have to over voting. Uh, 
obviously Daniels wins it. Penix was number two in votes. Bo Nix, number three, Marvin Harrison Jr. He was four. Those were the four finalists in New York. Uh, Jordan Travis, uh, the quarterback from Florida State, was five. Uh, and then you had Jalen Milrow, Alabama quarterback at six. Our guy, the Sports Hour MVP, Olive, Ollie Gordon, the second out of the running back of Oklahoma State, was seven. Uh, Cody Schrader, as you mentioned, running back from Missouri, at eight. Blake Corum, running back Michigan, nine. And J.J. McCarthy, quarterback Michigan, ten. So that's how the... Uh, so the top 10 of the Heisman uh, shook out there. I love that Jordan Travis got some recognition. Top five in Heisman voting. Well-deserved. Yeah, well-deserved. I mean, it's unfortunate the way his season ended, but um, definitely deserving of getting some recognition and, and a good sign of respect to, for, yeah. for his game that he played this year. Getting some getting some votes in the Heisman, that's for sure. Yeah. All righty, Mitch. Uh Continuing through the campus towards time for our sports hour draft today. Uh, excited for this draft. We figured with uh, the college football bowl season to, uh, kicking off this Saturday with a number of bowls, uh, we we decided to do a little draft of our our favorite, I guess is what we're calling our favorite non-New Year's Six Bowl games in the 2023 bowl season. So excluding the top six games, which have, you know, the best matchups, and obviously the playoff games are included in that. But, you know, you're talking top 12 teams. So we've taken those out of consideration. And we're going to draft our favorite non-New Year's Six Bowl games this year. And it could be, there are not a lot of criteria. It could be for the matchup. It could be for uh, the name of the bowl. It could be for, like, I don't know, whatever we decide, I guess. Whatever factors make it the favorites. So that's what we're doing today for the Sports Hour Draft. Yeah, I love it. I love this draft. Um, I think that we're gonna we're gonna shed some light on some maybe some games to watch and maybe some uh, I don't know maybe some antics during these bowl games mm. that we may want to keep an eye on for these. No foreshadowing whatsoever. <laughs> um, but Dallin, you do have the first pick in this draft, as I had the first pick in the last draft. So it is your turn to make the first overall pick, and I will kick it on over to you, my friend. Okay, and uh, listen, I you know I wrote down a number of games. There's a lot of ones I'm excited about, but I'm going to go with this one off the top because this is by far the best matchup we have outside of the New Year's Six. I'm going with the Valero Alamo Bowl. That is number 14, Arizona, against number 12, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. That's the pick at number one for me. And listen, you've got, Nine and three Arizona, the one of the stories in the Pac-12, the biggest surprise out of the Pac-12 this year. Noah Fafita, quarterback, just breaking out. Saying this right now, Mitch, I'm going to be picking Arizona to win the Big 12 in 2024. In the new Big 12, the 16-team Big 12, Arizona is going to be my pick next year. Wow. Uh, with what they've done this year and the momentum they're building in this program, I'm very high on the Wildcats. Uh, and they get a face-off against Oklahoma. No Dylan Gabriel for Oklahoma. He's in the portal. In fact, he's going to be an Oregon Duck next year. But they've got Jackson Arnold, who will be uh, the heir apparent, they believe, uh, there uh, for the Oklahoma Sooners. He's going to get a shot at it uh, as a starting quarterback in this game. And, again, I think this is the best matchup of just two really good teams that we have outside of the New Year's Six Bulls. Uh, so why, why not? This is one of the games I'm most excited to watch. Uh, number 14, Arizona versus number 12, Oklahoma in the Valero Alamo bowl. 
I love that pick. And I think that probably is going to be the, I think I'll concede here. That's the best matchup that I think we're going to get outside of the new year six. Um, very, very good matchup between Arizona and Oklahoma. Um, that's going to be a hell of a fun game to watch. Um, Dallin, my first pick is I think probably, probably one of the top four, top three or four matchups outside of the, uh, outside of the new year six that we're going to see. And I'm going to go with the direct TV holiday bowl. Okay. Between number 15, Louisville and USC. And I'm going to really love seeing USC get beaten this one. I'm going to really love it because so much hype behind USC going into this year. Uh, Caleb Williams, probably not going to play in this game. I, did he announce that he's not going to play in this game? I'm pretty um, sure. Um, I'm pretty imagine- sure Lincoln Riley has said he's not going to play. He doesn't expect him to play in this. Yeah. Game. And if he hasn't, I would imagine he wouldn't anyway. Um, but Louisville got a good opportunity to go get a bull win against the USC team at Petco park in San Diego. So they're playing it on football on a baseball field, which is awesome. Um, I love that. Uh, I'm going to go with the holiday bowl. Number 15 Louisville over uh, or against USC. Yeah. And Oh, I, I should have mentioned this on mine. I want to make sure you mention these. That game is going to be on Wednesday, December 27th. If you want to catch that USC Louisville game, the, uh, Oh, yes. The Alamo yeah. Bowl is going to be on Thursday, December 28th uh, at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio. So there's uh, there's that. But uh, yeah, I like that pick, Mitch. That's going to be maybe no Caleb Williams, but obviously USC still a lot of talent and the way they fell apart this season. I know that. You, yeah. I mean, maybe Louisville runs it up on them. A, a 40 to 10 win in the in the holiday bowl for Louisville would be pretty fun. I don't know. And decimating for <laughs> SC. Yeah. I mean, decimating. Um, Dallin, for my second pick, I'm going to go with number 18, North Carolina State against number 25, Kansas State. I'm going to go with the Pop-Tart Bowl. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) Not only is this a good matchup, North Carolina State, Kansas State, two good, really good football teams. It's the mascot. They're actually going to have a giant Pop-Tart as its mascot, (laughs) and it's going to actually be edible so that the winning team has the opportunity to take a bite out of the mascot after they win the game. Now, is that disgusting? Yeah, it's probably disgusting, (laughs) but it is so weird and awesome that I have to pick the Pop-Tarts Bowl um, as my number two pick. Um, Great matchup and a disgusting mascot uh, tradition that I hope doesn't continue past this year. But I have to pick it at number two. I I love it, Mitch. And uh, it's glad it's a good thing you picked it because I definitely would have picked that one on my on my within my next two picks. One, it's a t- you know top twenty five matchup between NC State and Kansas State. Two pretty good teams, pretty good programs. Exciting to watch that. Uh, that's going to be on December the twenty eighth at. Uh, in Orlando at Camping World Stadium. But uh, but yeah, the fact that the Pop-Tart Bowl has come out and said that the winning team gets to eat the mascot. I mean, come on. I'm just uh, <laughs> I, I'm just to there to that. see that. I'm just there to see that at the end, honestly. So I like it. Great pick. All right. Now hey, your second pick. How that brings me back up uh, back to back picks here. I got to got to look at my list, figure out what. OK. Where are we at? All right. So let's go with, okay. I got a couple picks here. So I'm going to start with another good ranked matchup. Excited about uh, these. 
maybe not two of the greatest teams in college football, but nonetheless, I think this is going to be an interesting matchup in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Mm. Oregon State and Notre Dame. Number 19, Oregon State, and number 16, Notre Dame. Uh, Listen, I think that's a pretty good matchup right there. Oregon State, the, you know, this final season of the Pac-12 as we know it, obviously they'll continue on alongside Washington State in the Pac-2 next year, uh, playing games against the Mountain West and and, and whatnot. But uh, they had a really pretty solid season this year. And Notre Dame on the other side, who is still trying to build this thing with Marcus Freeman. We talked about in the preseason. They were like a top five preseason team. It's never going to be the case. They ended up at, uh, well, like nine and three, uh, I I think, on the season. So, you know, a a solid season for Notre Dame, but obviously not what maybe people expected in the beginning. But nonetheless, I think this should be a pretty good bowl game even with opt-outs and, and guys not playing in this. Uh, should be a good one at the Sun Bowl in El Paso. We'll go the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl between Oregon State and Notre Dame. I love the name of that, too, by the way. The Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. It's a great I mean, game. Who doesn't They're love Tony the Tiger? Great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> who doesn't love the Tony the Tiger, man? One of the great, probably, yeah, the greatest serial mascot of all time, I have to say. He's got to be um, up there. He's got to be up there at the very it's, least. It's, so. it's him or Lucky, and I think it's uh, – or Captain Crunch, but I, I think yeah. that Tony the Tiger probably takes that cake there. I do yeah. want to mention the um, the betting lines here on this one. I'm going to start getting into this, the betting lines uh, for these games. Uh, Dallin, right now, Oregon State plus 6.5, over-under set at 46.5. I, I consider taking Oregon State in this one. I think Oregon State's the better team over Notre Dame. So I, yeah. I, I, I think this is going to be a really fun, tight matchup taking place on the 29th of December. This will be a really, really fun game. Um, and love that pick. That, that, that's a great pick uh, for your second one. All right. I go back to back here. So for my third pick in this draft of non-New Year's Six Bowl games, our favorite ones this season, I'm going with our first unranked matchup uh, on the list. And I'm going with the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Oh, good. We've pick. got uh, James Madison, eleven and one on the season, earned the bowl after initially being left out of bowl eligibility. Uh, they're they're able to to get eligibility to to participate in the bowl season as they deserve after an incredible season for them, and they get to take on an eight and four Air Force team that uh, listen, especially early in the season, man, Air Force looked like they were going to be the team to beat the Mountain West, uh, and then really kind of fell apart down the stretch, lost four games in conference play, but still a, a really solid air force team. And uh, this game will be played at uh, a TCU stadium in Fort Worth. This is on uh, December the 23rd. So a little pre Christmas action. If you're antsy for some football that Saturday before uh, Christmas, a one a 12 30 PM Pacific time kick, between James Madison and Air Force, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. That should be a great one. Oh, man. I, I'm, I'm always antsy for some football, so I'm going to have to watch this one. <laughs> um, right now, the, the the Dukes favored minus three, so the Falcons right now uh, plus three at minus 120 over under set right now at 42 and a half. Um, I'm going to take the Dukes in this one. Uh, this is going to be a great, great game. 
Um, Air Force, a top 25 team at one point this year, I believe. I think they cracked mm-hmm. the top 25. So um, great pick, Dallin. Um, one of the ones that I was considering. Um, but I'm going to go with another unranked matchup. Two good teams, I think, that are, are worthy of looking at. And one, one of them, I think, more so than the other. But I'm going to go with the 76 Birmingham Bowl between okay. the Troy Trojans and the Duke Blue Devils. Um, Troy, one of those G5 teams that we had talked about, I think, just a couple of weeks ago during our conference championship matchups. Um, super, super talented team. They're a top 20 defense in the country, um, taking on Duke and Riley Leonard. Um, a really, really solid matchup. Uh, Duke right now favored in this one, or Duke right now has the highest percentage to win this game, according to ESPN. But the Trojans right now favored at minus seven and a half. I like the Trojans in this game, but I think this is probably going to be one of the better uh one of the better non-ranked matchups that we see uh, when it comes to bowl season. So give me the 76 Birmingham Bowl. Yeah, I like that. You know, Duke going through a lot of uh, changes right now. Riley Leonard announced today his commitment to Notre Dame. So he'll be with the Fighting Irish next year. Mike Elko, the head coach, headed off to be the head coach at Texas A&M in the SEC. So a lot of turnover for this Duke team. And Troy gets a shot at a Power 5 team and earns some credibility in a 12-win season. So I like that. That'll be, that'll, that should be a fun one. Great pick. That, that'll be a really fun one. Um. Whew. Now, here we go. Now we got to pick down because these games get tougher now because you yes. you start you start to look at some some really garbage bowl games like any bowl game is awesome. Any bowl game is awesome, but there are clearly ones that are better than the others. And so yep. you, you, we're starting to run thin, I think. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with the ReliaQuest Bowl, Wisconsin. And number 13, LSU, on okay. Monday, but Mon- uh, New Year's Day. New Year's Day, this is going to happen at 9 a.m. Um, right now, the Wisconsin Badgers, dogs in this one at plus 10.5, over-under set at 55.5. Um, this, this could be a fun one. I think this could really be a fun one. I think that Jane Daniels pro- not participating in this game. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not actually sure about that. I I don't. I would assume so as he prepares for the NFL. But if he uh, is, maybe he wants to ride it out with his teammates. You never know. If he is, then I'm taking LSU. If he's not, this is a much funner. This is a much closer game. Um, because I think Wisconsin is one of those teams that's on the right track. I think Luke Fickle's got this team on in the headed in the right direction as far as becoming a top twenty-five team in the country. Um, we saw flashes of really good things from them. Uh, throughout the course of the year, they finished seven and five, but um, good things we saw out of Wisconsin throughout the year point me in the direction of this is going to be a closer game than anticipated. Um, should be a really, really, really competitive game. So I'm going to go with the Rely Quest Bowl between Wisconsin and LSU. Yeah, I like that, Mitch. Speaking of Wisconsin, saw today uh, Luke Fickles found his quarterback for the 2024 season. It's former Miami quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. That's a that's a get. That's a get. That's a it's a it's a I love the fit. You know, a guy who you know even back to last season had NFL hype was you know 
it really felt like, oh, this could be a guy and then sort of trailed off. And same thing this year, early season. It was like, okay, Tyler Van Dyke's got it together. Things kind of fell apart in Miami. Can Luke Fickle in Wisconsin kind of put it all together for him to make a, a case for the NFL? We'll, we'll see. But uh, yeah, it'll be fun to watch. It's, uh, I like that. A good power five matchup there between Wisconsin and LSU. I, okay, I'm back up. I've had three picks so far, two picks remaining. It's kind of getting interesting, <laughs> as you mentioned. So I'm going to go with a, another unranked matchup. This one's a Power 5 matchup, though. And this is for the real sickos out there. Uh, we talked about that <laughs> that that Raiders-Vikings game. If you're looking for something in that vein, go no further than this game, which will be taking place in that same stadium in Las Vegas, the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl between the Utah Utes and Northwestern. Uh, oh. I, 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 need, I need to pull up this over-under right now. I can't imagine that there's many projected points in this game between two really good defenses and two pretty subpar offenses. Over-under is 41 and a half points right now. Uh, I don't, don't take the over on that. Don't hammer the under on this one. This is a defensive battle of defensive battles between Utah and Northwestern. And what a story for Northwestern who fired Pat Fitzgerald after all of the drama and everything that came out uh, around him, the interim head coach, I forget his name, but he's earned the head coaching job moving forward. He got the contract. Love that turning around Northwestern to a seven and five season, uh, Utes in a transition year right now as they head to the Big 12 next season. But I think this is going to be a sneaky good matchup. Not good for points scored, but good for the game and, and some great defenses there. So if you're a sicko looking for uh, for uh, a real rough and tough football, this will be on Saturday, December 23rd. Uh, the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl again at Allegiant Stadium, Utah Northwestern. I love it. I love it. Defensive matchup, man. But final score six to three in that one. I'll call it right. I now. hope so. I hope so. That's that's why I put that on there because I'm hoping that's the kind of game that we end up with, Mitch. Just a, just a, 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 just a gross box score. That's what I'm hoping for in this one. Um, and my final my final pick here. I'm excited about this one. One of the games I had starred as we made as as I was sort of looking at the bowl games. Group of five matchup, one of the early games, and one of the best names. I'm going with the Avocados from Mexico. The Avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl. (laughs) Miami, Ohio, and App State. The Mac versus the Sun Belt. Uh, You've got Miami, Ohio, the the Mac champions, right? Knocked off uh, Toledo in the championship game, 11-2 on the season. Taking on App State, who was in the Sun Belt Championship game and lost uh, to uh, to Troy in that one. Uh, yeah, so eight and five on the season for App State, and this is one of the early games. This is happening this weekend on Saturday, December sixteenth. So if you're looking for a game to watch on the opening day of bowl games here, I think this is the game to watch that day. Uh, this one taking place uh, in Orlando at FBC Mortgage Stadium. I don't even know what that is, but it's going to be a great game and a great name. I love the avocados from Mexico commercials in the Super Bowl. 
They got a great jingle. Uh, I love their uh, love that they're both sponsors. So that's what we're that's my final pick here. Miami, Ohio versus App State. I love it. I love that one. Yeah, you have to you have to give it to the avocados from Mexico. You have to give it to that one. A great ad uh, there for the Cure Bowl. Um, Miami of Ohio, one of those teams that we talked about, one of those really good G5 teams. And App State, another really good G5 team, had had the upset against JMU earlier this year. So um, love to see that from them. Dallin, I I almost just want to pick an obscure one (laughs) just to say watch it. And I'm going to do it. Okay. I'm going to go with the Cricket Celebration Bowl between Howard University and Florida A&M University. Okay, the HBCU Bowl. This is actually a great pick, Mitch. I love this it. This is a great pick. I love it. And you know what? There's no over-under for this game yet. There's no lines, nothing for this. But I'm sure they're somewhere, but they're not on ESPN. But dadgummit, give the HBU, HBCU some respect. Um, Florida, Florida A&M went 11 and one. The Rattlers having a great year. Um, Howard, uh, Howard university, the bison, uh, having a, having a pretty mid year. If you, if you really look at it, they went six and five, but give the HBCUs some respect here, put some respect on their name. Um, but I'm going to take the Rattlers in this one, uh, a, a great year, 11, 11 and one put together by them. Yeah, I love this. This is also on December the 16th, so opening weekend at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And, I, yeah, this is, uh, you know, I love that the, the HBCUs get a chance in a bowl game. Uh, these two programs, too, uh, neither of them have made an appearance in a bowl game since the mid-90s, Mitch. Mm. Florida A&M's last bowl game, 1995. Howard's last bowl game, 1996. So two programs that haven't even... Had a shot at a bowl game, haven't made it uh, to this level, and here they are. They get a shot against each other uh, in the celebration bowl. That is that's a fantastic pick to oh, wrap it up there. There we go. I love it. Let's go. All right, that's our draft. Our favorite non New Year's Six bowl games on the 2023 schedule. Let's run through our top fives one more time for you uh, listening. I'll I'll go first here. I I had the first overall pick. My picks are the Valero Alamo Bowl between Arizona and Oklahoma, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, Oregon State and Notre Dame, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, James Madison versus Air Force, the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl, Utah and Northwestern, and the Avocados from Mexico Cure Bowl between Miami, Ohio and App State. Wait, wait, wait. say it right. Say it right. Avocados from Mexico. (laughs) Love that. (laughs) I love that jingle. It's so good. It's so good, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My top five. uh, The DirecTV Holiday Bowl between Louisville and USC. The Pop-Tarts Bowl from uh, between NC State and Kansas State. The 76 Birmingham Bowl between Troy and Duke. The ReliaQuest Bowl between Wisconsin and LSU. And the Cricket Celebration Bowl between Howard University and Florida A&M. There you the go. HBCU let us, bowl. Let, let us know what you thought. I, I, it turns out that I just picked all the bowl games with the long names. 
Uh, like, <laughs> I picked all the ones with the extremely long names. You took the the short and sweet names uh, on your bowl games. But uh, yeah, let us know you're listening at home. Let us know what you think. Uh, what what bowl game are you excited for? Are you just watching the New Year's Six in the playoff? Are you not sweating anything else? Uh, if you are, what 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 are you looking forward to? What do you think of the bowl games we picked? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know on our Instagram at uh, at Sports Hour Guys. Drop us a message. I, uh, I I was looking, by the way, through the bowl games to like yeah. find the longest name, and I think you might have gotten with the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Yeah. Um, I was really considering the Union Home Mortgage Gasparilla Bowl, though. That's a good one too. <laughs> Between Georgia Tech and UCF, I just don't think that's going to be a good game. So yeah. like, that's why it's I didn't six take and it. six teams, and yeah. Yeah, no, that, that might be uh, might be a tough one. So, uh, yeah, I, I love it, though. Let us know your thoughts there. I do want to also give uh, – I do want to add, we did our draft last week of Heisman winners, best Heisman winners of all time. And we got a comment from fellow Sports Hour guy, uh, friend of the podcast, the Italian stallion, uh, Tanner Paseni, uh, who was pretty upset with us that we did not include Reggie Bush. And the best Heisman winners of all time. And Tanner, I got to tell you, when I was I was looking at Heisman winners, obviously it was a name that first came to mind. And I, yep. I mean, I grew up a USC fan, so I, I remember the Reggie Bush days vividly. Uh, but, but since he had it rescinded, I kind of just like was like, oh yeah, I shouldn't consider it, and then moved on. I think we were wrong in that. We we I think we should have considered him, and he definitely should have been on the list. Thanks for your comment and calling us out there. I think we probably missed one there, Mitch. Yeah, I think um, you know we're we're men of honor here on the Sports Hour, and uh, we we admit when we're wrong. And Reggie Bush should have been considered, but I kind of went along the same lines that you did. He was one of the first names that popped into my mind, but you know, with it rescinded, and you know. All the like the scandal and controversy that comes with it, whether it was right or wrong, um, you know, he he should have been considered. So I yep. will admit blame. I will admit I will take responsibility <laughs> for not taking Reggie Bush um in my top five. I, I, I completely, you know, I accept blame in that one. Yeah. So. Yeah, you know, we done goofed. Uh but we done uh, goofed. It happens. Uh Thanks for thanks for holding us accountable. We appreciate the comment and let. I mean, the argument could be the argument could be made too that Lendale White made him the, the player that he was because he was such a change of pace guy. So thunder and lightning that combo, I mean, man! What a combo that was! That down top five. Mitch, Top I, I was, five conversation here. Like, I was I was literally about to say, Mitch, we need a Mitch Mo's top five of the best like running back tandems of all time because. There are some great ones. There's some great pairings of all-time running back combos, but I mean, Lendell White, Reggie Bush for USC—that's got to be up there. Those guys—that was incredible. I'm writing it down. That's Love it. Gonna, that's gonna be uh, on the list of ones to do. That's absolutely in. Um, Dallin loved that draft. That was a ton of fun, and and of course, we're gonna have a lot of fun watching these bowl games. Um, but let's transition back to the NFL because. It's time for our quick picks. And Dallin, I told you I was coming. I got there. And now the jaws are starting to close down a little bit. Mm. Just a little bit. You came. I well, <laughs> okay, let's not let's not do that. Come on, man. Um the family show. 
It's a family show. I don't know what show. you're talking about. I was having the same conversation. Know, you this, were. Is a, this is a family show graph. <laughs> um, right now, last week, Dallin, I went nine and six. You went seven and eight. Right now, as we stand on the season record, I am one twenty four and eighty four. You are one twenty two and eighty six. Taking I mean, the lead. Look, three weeks left, but that's still a lot of ball. That's still four a lot weeks of ball. left, Mitch. There's Before eighteen weeks. weeks in the NFL season. Okay, so what? I yeah, I colorblind. I can't count. You know, whatever. Yeah, it's like <laughs> let it go. Yeah, I mean, we're coming down to the final stretch. We were tied heading into last week. Mitch has just slowly cut away at the lead I had built up, and now you've taken it back over. And now I'm stressing. Now I'm like, okay, we gotta we gotta right this ship. I've had a couple bad weeks in a row. My picks are off. The mo the vibes are off. I need to get things. I need to get things back in order. Yeah, you know, but you got plenty of time to do that, Dallin. And you got a whole week, whole weeks worth of slate, you know, worth of slate of games to get this one done. And let's kick this one off with Thursday night football down the Los Angeles Chargers. They're leaving the city of Angels to head over to Sin City to take on the Las Vegas Raiders. Both teams sitting at five and eight right now. Right now, Vegas favorite at minus three. I'm going to take the Raiders in this one. This is probably the toughest bad game to pick of the week because both teams not very good. Totally confusing on what team might be better in this matchup. I'm just going to take the home favorite in this one and call it good. I'm going to take the Raiders. This was the hardest game for me to pick this week. You've got the Chargers. Justin Herbert's had surgery on his hand. He's out for the season. It's going to be Easton Stick versus Aiden O'Connell in this one. Like, how? The Raiders scored zero points last week. The Chargers are falling off of a cliff right now. No one can save them. The San Andreas Fault has opened, and they're sinking into the Pacific Ocean. It's like, who do you pick? Can I pick a tie? I considered it. I really did consider it, but I, I went with Vegas as well. I went with the home team purely because they're the home team and purely because I think that the rails are just going to completely fall off this Chargers team and Staley's going to be gone and uh, they're just going to have a huge bottoming out. So I'm I'm rolling with the Raiders too, Mitch, on Thursday yeah. night. Yep. Following that, we've got uh, our first Saturday games of the NFL season. Yeah, we are now four days a week of football in the NFL, <laughs> and go. it is a beautiful thing. Three go. matchups on Saturday, starting with this matchup between two seven and six teams, the Minnesota Vikings and Nick Mullins, their new starting quarterback, headed down to Cincinnati to take on Jake Browning and the Cincinnati Bengals. Don't you love the NFL season? We get to week 15, and it's like, God, is any starting quarterback that started the season still here? Is anybody still playing? I mean, it's crazy. But uh, two two teams fighting for playoff spots right now. Cincinnati's favored, minus three and a half at home. I'm rolling with Drake Jake Browning in this Bengals team who seemingly found a rhythm, and he's played extremely well the last couple weeks. I think that continues against this rough Vikings team. Give me the Bengals. Yeah, it's like if the, all the starting quarterbacks in the NFL lived in the same house and you knocked on the door, and you're expecting, like, 28 of them to show up and 15 of them show up and you're yeah. like wait where's everyone else i don't know where everyone else is um that's kind of where we're at with the nfl i'm going to go with jake browning um and the cincinnati Bengals as well i think that jake browning has done a fantastic job filling in for joe burrow i expect him to get this one done over minnesota especially after the pathetic performance 
against the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, give me the Bengals at home to get this one done. Following that, the second game on that Saturday slate, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 7-6. and six. I see a trend here, Dallin, 7-6, and six, <laughs> taking on the Indianapolis Colts at, guess what, Dallin, 7-6. and six. They're heading up to Indiana to take on the Colts. Right now, Indianapolis favored, minus 2.5. I kind of sneakily like this Pittsburgh team. Right now, I wow. think this Pittsburgh team is kind of playing decent. I think they're... I, they, they said it on part of my take earlier this week. They're Iowa, but good. Like, I, I don't know what this is. Give me Pittsburgh in a close one over Indianapolis. Um, you know, 19-16. A tight game. Uh, low scoring. But I like, I like Pittsburgh in this one on the road. Wow, Mitch has his Mitchell Trubisky blinders on right now. The former Bears quarterback. No, I don't. The Steelers offense. Mitchell Trashbisky. <laughs> I'm rolling with the Colts at home. Both these teams, uh, this is a very important win for both these teams in the AFC playoff race. A win goes a huge way. A loss might uh, really put them behind the ball with how close and, and competitive this AFC playoff race is. So huge game for both these franchises. I'm rolling with the home team in this one. Final Saturday game, the Denver Broncos at 7-6 and six, headed to the Motor City to take on the Detroit Lions. Detroit coming off the tough loss to the Chicago Bears, looking to bounce back. Detroit's favored, minus 5 at home. But I'm going with Mr. Unlimited. Give me Russell Wilson and the Broncos to get it done on the road, defeat the uh, Detroit Lions, and maybe continue to put some pressure on the Chiefs for this division race. Throw me a game out right now, Mitch. The Denver Broncos are a game out of the Chiefs in the AFC West. I would not have thought that when week 15, if when the season started, but that's why we love the NFL. Give me the Broncos. I can't live in a world where the Broncos get to eight and six and they're competing for that spot that closely. So I'm going to take with, I'm going to take the Detroit lions to get this one done at home, get them to 10 wins. First time they've had double digit wins. I think since like 2013 or whatever it was. I mean, it's been a long time since I have double digit wins. I think they get it done this week. Give me the lions at home in the motor city. Following that down the Sunday morning slate. The Atlanta Falcons, 6-7. and seven. They're heading over to the Carolina Panthers, 1-12. and 12. Right now, Atlanta favored minus 3 on the road. Carolina home dogs. I wish I could tell you keep pounding, but I need the Carolina Panthers to just keep losing, even though they've got their first overall pick probably pretty much locked up at this point. Um, I'm going to go with the Falcons to get this one done on the road over the Panthers. Mitch, the Carolina Panthers, in our short existence, you know, we've only been around for less than 30 years. We've had some good seasons, 15-1, and a Super Bowl. That's, I mean, one of the best regular seasons we've ever seen in the NFL. That's some very bad regular seasons. We've had a one-win season before. We've gone 1-15 before as a franchise. We gotta win two games this year, Mitch. We're not winning one game. We gotta win two. Why not against the division rival Falcons at home? 
Bryce Young, they're going to win it 12 to 7. It's not going to be pretty. But we got to find one here, right? I don't know why I'm doing this, Mitch, but I'm picking the Panthers. Keep pounding. Keep pounding. We got to win. We got to win another one, right? It can't just be one. It can't just be one. I'm going with the Panthers. Uh, Mitch, following that, your Chicago Bears coming off the big win. Headed to the best city in Ohio, Cleveland, to take on Joe Flacco and the Browns. Browns favored by minus three at home. I'm buying the Browns. Bears are playing well right now. This should be a tight game, a competitive game. Bears can certainly take this one on the road, but I will roll with the Browns to get to a crucial nine wins in the AFC playoff race and really put themselves in a position to almost lock up at least a spot in the playoffs. Give me the Brownies. Yeah, I, look, Cleveland. Have you, have you seen that TikTok? Cleveland. Under construction since 1878. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's a. I don't know if it's the greatest city in Ohio. You claim it is. I'll agree with you since you know better than me. But I'm not going to go with the Browns in this one because you got to be crazy if you think I'm not taking my Chicago Bears. Bear down. Give me the Bears. Playing great. They're going to get this one done. They're going to get to six wins. We might have the first pick in the 14th pick or the 15th. Pick. You know, who knows what we're going to have. But I like the Bears in this one. Keep rolling. Bear down. I like the Bears to get this one done in Cleveland. Following that game down, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They are leaving the state of Florida. Florida to head up to Green Bay to take on the Green Bay Packers. Six and seven right now. Green Bay favored minus three and a half at home. Lambeau, tough place to pay, play no matter who, no matter who's under center. No matter who's at the helm, this one hurts me. But I'm, I, I'm, I'm going for a win here. I have to take the Packers in this one because I, I'm going for a win here. Give me the Packers over the Buccaneers. I think the Bucks are just, they're, they're, they're not it. They're not it. And uh, Packers get this one. Done. Yeah, you know, not really believing. I mean, frankly, it's hard to believe in any team out of the NFC South this year. Uh, three teams sitting at six and seven, including those Bucks. And uh, listen, Green Bay. Has played well at home, four and two at home. They're two and five on the road. That's been one of the big problems for Green Bay is not being able to win away from Lambeau. But when they're at Lambeau, they're pretty good, and I think they'll be pretty good on Sunday. I'm rolling with the Packers as well to get to seven and seven. Following that, an AFC East matchup: Zach Wilson and the Jets headed down to South Beach, Miami, to take on the nine and four Miami Dolphins. Dolphins favored minus eight and a half in this one. Good chance for the Dolphins to bounce back. Jets defense is tough. They've been tough all year. It's not going to be a cakewalk for the Dolphins, but they get this one done, you know, uh, 27 to 13. I think they'll they'll you know, take care of business and uh, be able to get back on the right direction for Miami. So I'm going with the Dolphins. Yeah, I'm going with the Dolphins as well. Get them to ten wins. I mean, this is this is a playoff team, and they should. This is a game they should win. Granted, can they get it done? If they don't, that now we now we got some questions, right? This is this is a big question game for the Miami Dolphins. Can they get it done against teams they should beat? I have confidence that they will. Give me the Dolphins getting it done at home. Following that down, the New York Giants and a. Tommy DeVito. Hey, they are leaving the Big Apple to head down to the Big Easy to take on the New Orleans Saints. 
Forget about it. Take it easy. It's the Giants on the road in New Orleans. Give me the Dawn. Give me the Don Vito. Give me Tony DeVito <laughs> and the New York Giants to get it done on the road. I like the G-Men in this one. Yeah, it's chicken cutlets for everybody on Sunday as the Giants. I'm taking the Giants on the road over the New Orleans Saints. I mean, this Saints team is just sus, real sus. And Derek Carr's absolutely banged up. I don't know why he's playing for them right now. I don't know what's happening in New Orleans. I don't know what's happening in New York. I don't know how they're getting wins with this team right now, but it's whatever is happening is working and they're riding high and Tommy DeVito gets it done yet again, taking the Giants on the road, Mitch. Following that AFC South matchup, the Houston Texans seven and six headed to Tennessee to take on the five and eight Titans. Titans favored minus two and a half in this one. Could have been a matchup between two rookie quarterbacks and Will Levis, CJ Stroud, but CJ Stroud, on in concussion protocol right now after he was knocked out of that uh, Jets game last week. Uh, again, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday night, so we don't know if he's going to play in this one. It seems likely that it's going to be Davis Mills. It's Tennessee favorite at home because of that. But I'm still rolling with D'Amico Ryans and the Texans to rally behind around their quarterback who's been knocked out, find a way to get it done and, and stay alive in the AFC playoff race, I'm going with the Texans. I I completely understand that. And this is another tough game for me to pick because I really like what D'Amico Ryans is doing in Houston. But with the uncertainty of C.J. Stroud, with the uncertainty of Nico Collins, um, that offense looks pretty darn depleted without those two in, in the lineup. I don't know if this Texans defense is up to the task of maybe a a, a – Titans offense with a little bit of momentum coming off that win over Miami. So I'm going to go with the Titans in Music City, getting it done over the Houston Texans. Give me the Titans. Dallin, winding up the Sunday morning slate, Kansas City, 8-5, and five, coming off the tough tough loss against ba- uh, 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 Buffalo. They're heading over to New England to take on the New England Patriots. Patriots right now 3-10. and 10. Kansas City favorite at minus 9.5. I had the feeling of a trap game here. I did have this slight feeling of a trap game, and then I came to my senses and said, look, New England's so bad, there's no way Kansas City loses this game, even though it's completely in the realm of possibility. I don't think it happens. I'm going to take Kansas City on the road in New England uh, over the Pats. Bill Belichick has the chance to do the funniest thing ever on Sunday. You know, I mean, like, just absolutely derail the Chiefs this season if he finds a way to get a win against the Chiefs. And I wouldn't uh, put it past him. It it kind of feels like now that we're talking about it, I'm kind of like, should I have taken the Patriots? But no, logic will prevail here, Mitch. We'll go with the Chiefs, though I don't think it's like a Chiefs blowout. I don't think they cover this nine and a half number on the road, but they find a way to get it done, get to nine wins and, and maybe right the ship on their season. We'll see on that. But uh, yeah, we'll roll with Kansas city on the road. Following that Mitch Saturday afternoon games. We'll start in the NFC West, the 10 and three San Francisco 49ers NFC leaders right now. Number one seed in the NFC at 10 and three headed to Arizona to take on the three and 10 Cardinals. San Francisco's favored minus 13 and a half in this one. Listen, Cardinals have been impressive this season to me. I know they're 3-10, and 10, but they've been much more competitive than I thought they would be. Kyler Murray is back and playing at a pretty high level, and 
I think they're starting to build there with Jonathan Gannon, the things that you want to see out of this franchise. There's still a long ways to go from being competitive. San Francisco is going to get this one done on the road, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is a competitive game. Division rivals, this means something. So don't count it out. I don't think San Francisco covers minus 13 and a half, but they get the win. I mean, that makes one of us. I think this is a route. Um, San Francisco gets this, gets this one done easily. Um, I, I agree with you on all your sentiments that you just brought up, but man, it's 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 hard not to take the Niners to cover right now against a really rough Arizona team. I like the Niners in this one on the road easily. Following that, Dallin, the Washington Commanders, they're leaving the nation's capital. They head over to the City of Angels to take on the Los Angeles Rams, 6-7. and seven. One of those teams I think is going to sneak into the playoffs. I think they get another dub here. Give me the Rams to get to 7-7, seven to seven, cover it minus 6.5. I like the Rams over the Commanders in a pretty convincing fashion. Yeah, I'm rolling with the Rams over the Manders in this one. Washington down bad. You know, they need some big changes in the offseason. And the Rams riding high even after that overtime loss to Baltimore. They get to 500, 7-7, seven and seven, put themselves squarely in the NFC playoff picture. Uh, yeah, rolling with L.A. in this matchup. Final Sunday afternoon game. And uh, it's a pretty good one. Dallas Cowboys, 10-3. and three, yeah, Coming off a big win over their division rival Eagles. Looking to stay alive for a chance to potentially win this division. They're going to need to win out, and they're going to need the Eagles to drop at least one game to do that. But the opportunity is there, and they will travel to Buffalo to take on the 6-7 and seven Bills. Bills favored minus 2.5 in this one. They got the win against Kansas City. Bills fighting for their lives, frankly, at this point with where they're at in the AFC playoff picture. This Dallas team is just rolling right now. I mean, how do you count against them scoring 30, 35 points a game? I mean, they are just, they look unstoppable, frankly, right now. And I won't be the one to pick against them. So I will roll with Dallas on the road as road underdogs in this one. Give me the Cowboys. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really good game. I think this is going to be a really hard-fought game. One of the tougher games that we had to pick, I think, this week was Dallas and Buffalo. Just, you know, throw the records out the window. And I think that if you look at these two teams square up, tough to pick. I did go Dallas in this one. And I think it's going to be in a, in a close, in a very, very close margin. Um, but I would not be surprised if Buffalo pulled this one out. Would not be surprised in the least bit. Um, but I am going to take Dallas in this one to get it done on the road in Orchard Park. Following that game down Sunday night football, the Baltimore Ravens 10 and three, they're heading over to Jacksonville eight and five in the swamps of Jacksonville to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars down. I think this might be game of the week. One of the better matchups that we're going to have all week right now, Baltimore favorite at minus three and a half Baltimore. I think, still has a game to drop somewhere. And so that for that reason, I'm taking the Jacksonville Jaguars to get this one done at home okay. over the Ravens. I don't see the Ravens as a three-loss team. I know they're the by far the dominant team in the AFC, a, a legitimate Super Bowl contender. I don't see them as a three-loss team. I think they have one to drop. I think it comes this week to Jacksonville at home. I like the Jags. Okay, yeah, uh... I like it. This could be a good game. You know, Trevor Lawrence uh, had tweaked the ankle last week, right? And then played on Sunday against the Browns and didn't look good. 
And not that like the injury really looked like it was bugging him too much as he played. He was still mobile moving around, but had like three interceptions in that game and just had one of those bad games. But you know he's due for a back a bounce back, right? And I think Jacksonville will show up for this game. One thing that I noticed watching that uh, matchup, though, is how much Jacksonville misses Christian Kirk. You know, he's not the he's not a superstar player, but just what he added to that offense, how it opened up Calvin Ridley and Evan Ingram and everybody else on that offense and made everybody's life easier by giving them a target in the slot across the middle, short passes. Uh, they seem to be really lacking that in the offense until they figure out how to replicate and replace him, who he's out six to eight weeks right now. I think it's going to be tough sledding for Jacksonville. I'm going to take Baltimore on the road in this one on Sunday night football, but a tight matchup in which Jacksonville gives their all at home. Unfortunately, no win for the Jags in the swamps of Jacksonville. Ugh. And to wrap up the week, Mitch, Monday night football, the Philadelphia Eagles 10-3, and a matchup of the birds, Eagles and Seahawks. Philly headed to the Emerald City to take on the 6-7 and seven Seattle Seahawks. Philly's favored minus four on the road. Seattle's a tough place to play, but Seattle is also looking pretty rough right now. And and man, have they had a brutal stretch of the season uh, these past few weeks with these these matchups that they've had. Uh, Coming off of the game against the Cowboys, they've had two matchups against the Niners. Now they've got the Eagles this week. They've dropped four in a row. Can't really afford another loss if they want to stay alive in the NFC playoff race. I just don't think it's going to happen for Seattle. I'm rolling with the Eagles to bounce back, get a win on Monday night, keep control of the NFC East, and and maybe down the stretch uh, wrap things up. So I will take Philly. What What's the old Cat Williams skit? It's for the birds! For the birds! And it is for the birds here. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Fly, Eagles, fly. Give me the Eagles on the road over the Seattle Seahawks. Um, yeah. Seattle's down bad. But I, I got like the birds in the green and black this week. That's for sure. I like it. There you go. That's our NFL quick picks for week 15. Uh, including this week, Mitch. Four weeks of picks left. One month of football left before the playoffs. It is like right around the corner. It's incredible it, how fast went, the season flies. It went too fast. It went too fast. Way too fast. But the good news is, is that the NFL playoffs are even better than the regular season. So it's going to get really <laughs> good here really quick. Uh, and we'll have some fun football to look forward to, including this week's matchups. So uh, that's going to do it for the podcast. It's all we got. So appreciate you. Tuning in, listening, as you always do, episode 186. Uh, Glad to be here. We want to hear from you. We want you to be a part of this. So, uh, you know, give us your thoughts on what we talked about on uh, New Year's Six Bowl games. If there's a game that you're interested in right now or you're looking forward to watch over the bowl season, let us know. if you're an NBA fan, we'd love to hear about uh, your thoughts on the in-season tournament. Were you were you watching? Were you interested? Uh, we'd love to hear from you on that or anything that we talked about here on the podcast. Let us know. Get at us on Instagram at the Sports Hour Guys, on Twitter at Sports Hour Guys. 
TikTok at the Sports Hour, guys. Wherever you're at, we're at. Um, reach out, let us know your thoughts, and we'll share it on here like we did with Tanner uh, Piseni, who shared his thoughts on on the Heisman draft, and and uh, the many of you that have reached out. Uh, you know, we appreciate it. Yeah, we absolutely appreciate it. And you know, if you're listening to this podcast form, which you are only this week in podcast form, you can get us wherever you listen to your podcast. Get us, get at us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen your pod, listen to your podcasts. You can look up the Sports Hour guys, and you will find us there. Get on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, review, tell us that we suck, because Dallin, that is the only way that we can get better. It is the only way that we can get better. Mark your calendars for next Tuesday, December nineteenth, our final episode before Christmas and our holiday special. Uh, so we'll yeah. We'll bring some fun next week on the podcast, some some Christmas theme to the podcast on top of, uh, you know, our week recaps in the NFL, our quick picks, what you come to expect. But uh, we'll have a little Christmas fun next week on the sports hour. So I, uh, I think we should just call it the eggnog episode because I think we should each bring a carton of eggnog that we have to drink during the episode. That's a lot of eggnog, my friend. I could Are drink you, that much eggnog, though. I mean, like, it's so good. I I, I love eggnog. <laughs> I, I mean, we'll be sipping some nog. We'll be we'll be looking forward to the holiday season. The eggnog and... challenge episode down. Think about it. It'd be good. <laughs> so we're puking by the end of it because we've consumed too much. <laughs> I love it. I, I don't know. I, love I don't it. know. <laughs> I love it. We'll have a lot of fun. So tune in next Tuesday on the 19th, uh, or I guess after that, we'll we'll go we'll record it on the 19th. So you can look at for it on your podcast feed uh, next week, our our Christmas episode again, and then we'll we'll take a break for the holidays, get back at it probably after the new year uh, as we get to the final week of the NFL season uh, and uh, look forward to the NFL playoffs. So until next time, guys, thanks for hanging out. Tuning in, being a part of it. We appreciate you. We love you. And we will catch you next week. So long, everyone, and a very pleasant good evening to you, wherever you may be. See ya. <laughs>